0: Okay, Abdullah start <laughs> I would. Welcome to Mo Show. 10 seconds silent. I thought <laughs> <laughs> You wanted to kill me. I love it. Uh, by the way, these little little like nuggets are often sometimes we, we keep in the beginning. It's behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> Something you won't see on the 10 o'clock news. <laughs> yes. Welcome to another episode of the Mo Show podcast with uh, mr abdullah abu sheikh did i pronounce that right yes you did welcome to Jiddah. how are you doing abdullah thanks for coming on
1: thank you for having me mo
0: you've been coming in and out of jidda as, as you said when we spoke yes, a little bit ago
1: yes i spent uh, so back in high school i had a bunch of friends from Jiddah and i used to spend almost every ramadan in, in jidda all right yes yeah, so it's a very special place to me and home is where uh, birth, so, birth home uh jordan 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 yes how many years did you live there? Not a lot. So I spent most of my life. Um, so I, I was in Jordan for boarding school. And then I went to the US and Canada for university. Mm-hmm. And then off to work after China, Africa, now the GCC.
0: Went to China. Yeah. Not a lot of people go there. There's a language barrier there isn't, it? especially mainland.
1: Well, not for me. Um, Like my, my my father was based in China for like 37 years. So I spent a lot of my young adulthood between China and the Middle East and I'm like uh, almost Chinese. So.
0: You can speak the language? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'm conversational.
0: That puts you in a league of your own, dude.
1: It's it's helpful. It's definitely very, very helpful, especially if you deal with... Um, so everything... Uh, China is a place of its own. It's an extremely original place in the sense of they have their own technology, they have their own infrastructure. They're not really mimicking a lot of Western thought and whatever they have. They're digitally sovereign, they're economically sovereign, and so on. So um, being communic- communicative with the Chinese community could, could, could become very fruitful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Are they the, would you agree if someone was to say that, you know, they are the current or very near future world superpower?
1: I, I would say like it depends on how you define it. Like, in, in, in what sense do you define a superpower? Is it, I think the Chinese do not have the Western mentality of colonization and uh, rule the world or police the world kind of thing. Uh, But they do have a mentality of protect our own interests at any cost. And I think they can do that now. I think nobody can stop China from positioning itself however it wants to position itself. Um, Like I said, they're extremely sovereign. So nobody has any claim over their digital infrastructure, their power infrastructure, their economical infrastructure is very difficult for anybody to dabble with. So that gives them a very good stance in terms of their superpower. but they're not an expansionist uh, superpower, if you will. They're more of a, let's protect our own and continue our survival forever after.
0: And the general vibe there is still communism? Yes, definitely. Your life is funded, pretty much.
1: Um, I I don't
0: know, I want to be educated.
1: So now their life is not funded as much as it is incentivized, or if you will, uh, rebated, supported somewhat, right? So they guarantee you're not poor. They guarantee you can maintain a, a good healthcare, a good life, and a good education, and you can eat, right? You can survive. Um, All the basic needs. Exactly. So your basic needs are taken care of. uh, the, the, The vibe of communism gives them, the Chinese people have been used to this, right? So you can't take away their leadership from them. So they need something to look up to. They need a direction, they need a leader. And that's what they had with General Mao. That's what they have with their current president and this is this is their mentality this is how we're, how they they were born but is is are you are you supported in the way that most people think that you know you don't have to work you don't have to be productive no it's not it's, it's, it's not and unemployment rates what are they very like? low very, very low because china is is extremely self-sustaining they've they've created this massive infrastructure in china where they're feeding the whole world in terms in terms of manufacturing but then they have a massive chinese infrastructure outside of china So if you look at Africa right now, it's very Chinese. If you look at uh, Southeast Asia is becoming very Chinese and that creates a lot of uh, employment, whether it's for Chinese or. You know what's crazy?
0: Mm. They hit a billion in 85 and they're at 1.4. Yeah. In 85 is just shy of 40 years uh, ago in 37, 38 years, they, they went 50% increase. Talk about compound interest. Yeah. Is, is that their biggest, uh, let's say, benefit, their human capital? Is that why they are a, a force to be reckoned with?
1: So you have, you have, human capital is very important. That's for sure. The quality of human capital is more important than just having human capital. So you have a lot of countries globally that are massively populated uh, and not as, as productive as China. Uh, China and India are are the the highest populations of the world and they're both superpowers of their of their own because they managed to improve the quality of human capital so if you look at the Indian population you'll find that they produce some of the top tier quality globally in whatever field you look at China has the same the only difference is that China is now suffering the consequences of the communist policy of limiting population growth so they're they're being faced with a gap of A lot of elder generations. So their generation is actually aged. Mm, They're much older. Yeah. Yeah. They're much older than the Indian population, than the Indonesian population, and so on. So them and Japan are probably in the same shoes. And you see, they're trying to now make up for that by allowing multiple children up to three, incentivizing you to have kids and so on, because they realize that if the population growth rate does not pick up, they'll probably look at a, a massive decay very, very quickly.
0: It's almost like they're going back on a decision they took in the late '90s to, to 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 bring down the population by saying, "Okay, only one child per family." Are they are they now looking at the situation, saying, uh, "Okay, no, we need to kind of reverse engineer that policy?"
1: Yes, hundred percent. Because uh, they did not expect. So when when that policy came about, so if you look at that history of China, China is pretty young. It's not it's not a very old nation, right? And it started out of extreme poverty. So it's it's a funny thing, you know, the, the, the casual greeting in China is, did you eat today? <laughs> it's not, how are you or, or something of the sort because that, that's a culture that came out of poverty, that came out of hunger and famine and, and all sorts of diseases and blah, blah, blah. So when, oh, yeah. when, the, when the first establishment of a country was put by General Mao and the first, you know, doctrine of what is our system look like, they said, okay, we want to be able to give a population that we can, give a good quality of life to, thus you don't. we don't want you to have a lot of kids. Little did they imagine that by maintaining their discipline for 20 years, they would become the world's number one manufacturing uh, power, and they would become one of the world's top three economies, one of the world's top three technology powerhouses, and what have you. And now that happened a lot faster than they thought it would. So now they're looking at it and they're saying, okay, if we maintain a very low growth rate, and we have a very old population. In 50 years from now, we're gonna have you know 30% of the people, or we're gonna be 30% less. And then where's all this infrastructure gonna go? So that's gonna be very problematic. And now they're reversing, like you said, they're trying to go back on Wow. That.
0: That's something. I did not think we'll start the episode by speaking about China, but <laughs> <laughs> we did, I just learned so much. <laughs> well, let me just take a few steps back and introduce uh, Abdullah. Um, he's one of the top serial entrepreneurs in the MENA region and a global keynote speaker. He's globally renowned for launching groundbreaking future-ready platforms centered on sustainability, mobility, and digitalization, led by unconventional strategies and strong business ethics. As a co-founder and CEO of Astra Tech, a UAE-based tech, and my phone is ringing. Is it yours? No, it's yours. Keeping that in. Um, <laughs> A UAE-based technology investment and development group, Abdullah is spearheading the launch of a revolutionary new ultra platform. So many questions of mine hinge on that, which will bring together selected consumer technologies, products, and services. That's uh, a lot of information. Yeah. A lot of techie jargon that we're going to unpack. Um, I'm going to get into right into it. Astra Tech, as a company and its label as 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 a or its connection with the world ultra platform yeah what on earth does it mean
1: okay so let me let me take you a few steps back into into my 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 thinking of astra so i've been uh, i've been part of the digital ecosystem for for a while now for a good chunk of uh my, my my life at least and 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 Over the past few years, I've noticed a bubble forming, and it was not just me. You know, it's a lot of investors and a lot of people within the tech the tech space started seeing this app bubble forming up. So you got Uber that led this whole super platform uh, movement, right? So you have this platform that started off on the basis offering a base layer service of ride hailing, right? Ride hailing as a business is not a profitable business. Let alone building a $10 billion platform on top of a non-profitable business. That just gives you a very bad unit economic construct, right? When you look at it, you would be able to tell this is never going to be profitable. This is never going to make money. And when you unpack this and you start looking at the making components of it, you think about it this way. When Uber wanted you to get in the car for the first time, they paid you. When they wanted you to tell your friend about it, they paid you. When they wanted to get the driver in the car, they paid them. And when they wanted the car to be a good quality experience, they paid for the car, right? This is a subsidized user journey at every conjunction. So there was not a natural organic movement at any given point within that user journey. I think 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when Travis put together the concept, there was one variable that investors were betting on is that at scale, this will be profitable. As a pure monopoly, this will be profitable. But fast forward 10 years, a pure monopoly was achieved in a lot of places around the world and no profit was seen. Uh, And this is where the story went complete on on the following basis. This is a company that scaled up to a few hundred million users, raised a hundred billion dollar IPO to run a first profitable quarter of $15 million. You know what makes $15 million a quarter in profit? Any given branch of McDonald's.
0: Is that like 0.001 of what you ipo
1: Exactly. That. So and a branch of McDonald's doesn't need to IPO $100 billion for a $50 million profit, right? Did that get investors riled up? Yes. So it got investors extremely cautious and frustrated. And this was the beginning of the burst because while Uber was building, you got a lot of feeder platforms. You have the Kareem's of the world. You have the Grabs. You have the go and so on and so forth. All of those other platforms that copied this business model. And everybody at some point, they realized this is never going to be profitable. So they said, okay, we need to make a choice. How do we pitch this so that we keep the funding coming? We say that we're going to leverage our ride hailing user base to do other stuff. Okay, what are other stuff? Food. Uh, is food profitable? Not at all. Okay, so what are the other stuff? So now we got. The last form of what, what we're calling super platforms today is an identity crisis of an app that wants you to ride a taxi, but also use a wallet, but also order a vaccine, but also buy insurance, uh, rent a car, uh, a bunch of completely unrelated uh, user journeys, a bunch of completely unrelated value props with the promise of we're going to switch profitable someday. But again, when you look at the story, you're still 99% of your traffic is ride hailing. 1% of your traffic is everything else. I, as a, as a ride hailing customer, I'm not your same guy who orders food. I'm not the same guy who's gonna buy insurance. Uh, and when you look at the economics of how things moved, you took it back to a actually worse shape than it was before you came. Because if you look at it today, um, how many people can actually afford an Uber in a city like Dubai? If you have a population of 1,000, Probably ten percent of the people can afford. An is that Uber it, huh? It's probably lower, right? Because think about it, all the blue-collar people don't afford Ubers. They don't get into Ubers. They go into you know they have public transport. All the one percent or three percent of the population they have their own cars and their own drivers. They're not going to get into an Uber. All the all the blue all the mid-white-collar people Taxi. have their own cars and they have taxis, yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, who can afford an Uber? Who wants an Uber? That's a very limited. It's become very
0: expensive in Dubai, especially. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: same in Singapore. Uh, same in uh, wherever you go, right? Egypt, <laughs> same in any in any uh, San Francisco. So, like, I was just in San Francisco looking at the price of Uber. It's just extortionate, right? So, uh, again, uh, this is like a lot of people can mistake this for me saying that Uber is a bad company. Ukraine is a bad. No, I, I have. And we were just talking about this before. I have the utmost respect. There would not be a massive chunk of the tech industry as it exists in this part of the world today would not exist if not for
0: Uber, Uber or Kareem. I mean, I think it's in the dictionary.
1: Uberized. Exactly. Is, is, uh... So they've they've done they've done and played a massive role in the evolution of of everything that we see. Whether it was cultivating talent or uh, bringing up business modeling or bringing up investor awareness or a lot a lot of that is is credited to uber and its founding members but was it a successful business model i i i would put a question mark around that uh, a lot of people made a lot of money that doesn't really mean that the, the business model panned out so when we were thinking about astro we were thinking okay what's next super platforms didn't really succeed anywhere what is beyond a super platform Okay. Ultra, right? So ultra is more than super. This is this is the gist of, of what we're trying to put with Astra. And immediately, my thinking of my Chinese background came into place. And the one ultra platform that you have globally today is WeChat, right? So if you, if I don't know if you, how well you know WeChat. I haven't used it. Have you? Used uh, it? you you'd only use WeChat in China. WeChat is right is the Chinese WhatsApp. If you is will. it? Yes, but it's a lot more than that. Because in China, you cannot exist if you don't have WeChat. It is that ingrained into society. It's your bank account. It's your communications tool. It's your phone number. It's your loaning and lending business. It is your uh, coupon and discount business. It's your children's education. It's your tutoring. Mm -hmm. It's your marketplace. It's everything. Everything is on WeChat. And just to give you a bit of scale, WeChat has 1.3 billion active users, which is way beyond anything, uh, anywhere else in the world. And it runs in yearly transaction volume, about $200 billion. Generates 200. Yeah. Doesn't generate. So the amount of money that flows within the WeChat ecosystem okay. on your basis, about $200 billion. Is that turnover? Is that what you would call turnover? Uh, it, it's just money on the ecosystem. So it's, uh, it's transaction. A, a transaction, total transaction. Transaction value, right? So this is how much it is. It is value that, uh, a trillion dollars, maybe. I don't know, oh like God. Tencent never put out a valuation of WeChat, but this is scale, right? This is what you're looking at.
0: Do they call it WeChat?
1: Yeah, that's what it's called.
0: Do right? they call it, they actually call it, WeChat, or is yeah. there a Chinese name for it? No, no, it's WeChat. Oh, they call no, it in, in, in English, in China, huh? Yeah,
1: Even in China, there's the name is WeChat, right? Fascinating. And it is fascinating because the world wake up to this much later than China. And today you have Elon trying to copy WeChat into the US on top of Twitter, right?
0: The, so the model,
1: yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he's trying to do, and he's went out publicly and said, "We need a WeChat. We don't have that, and we need one." So my my vision a few years ago, or not a few years ago actually, a year and a half ago, to my investors and to the people be- beyond Astra was, we need to build a WeChat because there's going to be four or five WeChats globally, and that's that's it. That is that's the whole app ecosystem, is going to be absorbed by those people. It's going to be the Chinese WeChat, which exists as it is today, is going to be the American WeChat, is whatever Elon Musk is going after. There's going to be a Russian one, an Indian one, and a Middle East and Africa one, which is what we're trying to be.
0: How did you land on that, the forecast of it only having uh, five players in the ecosystem? Is this something that you saw historically? or Yes.
1: So the, the, the way uh, that ecosystem evolved, I think in China it evolved much better because the unit economics were extremely realistic. In China, you do not have any of the investor craze that you see outside of China. You don't see a valuation jargon or evaluation craze or bloodthirst of investors to go after boosting up a valuation because the Chinese regulator is extremely involved. Mm -hmm. So if you look at WeChat, it's partially governmentally owned, right? So there's always this policing of, what is the actual value what are the actual numbers but the
0: ipo do you say partial government it's
1: ten cent. so yeah it's it's a public uh trade publicly company, traded, public traded company. okay
0: so by the way i mean i'm just, sorry while you're googling here while you're talking 20 11 years in the business yeah. I, I mean did they start before before whatsapp or was it around <laughs>
1: almost at the same time
0: january Maybe a bit, bit uh, earlier, Yeah. On, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, WhatsApp two years before that. Yeah. But I mean, it's it really is some crazy intel that you're sharing with me. Uh, you know, something as big as, uh, you know, now I won't feel so silly if I'm ever on a dinner table and someone's like, uh, yeah, WeChat. I won't have to be like, I'm sorry, and that is. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Only the biggest platform ever. Only the right? biggest platform. <laughs> yeah.
0: God, they'll get me out of that dinner <laughs> in a second. <laughs> So yeah, so, no, yeah. so
1: this, is, this is where our thinking is. How did I land on the fact that it, it, it is going to be five? This is only my own personal interpretation. And maybe in a few years from now, you will look back at this episode and see this guy was an idiot or maybe this guy knew what he was talking about. I don't know. But just my read of the economics is, is, is it's, it's, it's a winner takes all uh, situation, right? Because you have most of the platforms that you have today cannot sustain. Right, so I don't, we've been seeing platforms dropping 90 and 95% in value, diluting 90 to 95% of their workforce. Not sustainable, right? Those are platforms that are gonna die or be absorbed. And that is gonna be a winner takes all situation. Somebody's gonna come absorb all this data and build the ultimate user use case, right? Which is the users are gonna decide at the end of the day. It's not the investors that are gonna decide. Investors put in their money into businesses hoping the users pick it. But the users actually make the choice at the end of the day. And this is this is this comes down to user experience.
0: Is is Kareem now operating as is just owned by Uber? Is there a merge looming going back to Uber?
1: So I think they're they're trying to get divorced, is is what I hear. I don't know. Oh, I, I don't God. Know if, I, I can't comment on like Kareem's oh, situation. Okay. But I know they're they're still part of Uber, is, is is like this public information. Uh what are they up to as of late? I'm not sure. I feel I feel like they have been a very big focus on fintech. Okay. As of late. I'm not I'm not exactly sure what they're at.
0: So them. in a nutshell, Astra Tech is um is 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 the is the WeChat equivalent uh of China in the Middle East, which is where your focus and attention is to? Right yes, now. yes. Okay, yeah. do you have, I mean, how much work have you put into this project? Uh, and uh, and when, if you can share, are you looking at a potential launch?
1: So I'll take you through what we've done so far. So we've been operating on the radar for, for a good amount of time now. We've put together about $600, 700000000 million in funding. Earlier uh, in the year, it's very impressive, Marshall. Uh, and we went. Uh, I think I, I honestly don't celebrate don't celebrate funding okay, because I'll... that's just a lot of a ton of responsibility hmm. uh, to deliver, Slee- right? Sleepless
0: nights. Yes.
1: So, um, and we've went on a massive acquisition spree. So, like discreetly, we've went on and, and acquired a few platforms that I think are the making components of what an ultra platform should be. We're looking at a potential launch mid-Jan, twenty-three. Yeah, so within you know a month. Fantastic. Uh, this is when we're looking at coming out with something, and I think now that we're talking about it a lot and it's it's very discretionary. A lot of people say, "Okay, no, this guy, what is he on about?" But I think once we once we once we come out with it, uh, I think it'll make a lot of sense how things got in together.
0: Fantastic, yeah. but much sooner than I thought yeah i mean thank enough. you for sparing your two hours a month before launch thank yeah. you again for coming on the show you're my god you could be doing so many more important things i think with a launch date of 30 I, days i think now.
1: my team appreciates you for, for taking me out of the office so. yeah <laughs> so like, i'm sure a lot of people say okay get him off our heads yes. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah when you're done with mo we have another podcast <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly that's amazing best of luck with that thank by you. the way i thank mean you. i'm sure you've put so much effort into this and yeah it's, God, I'll be cheering you on. Thank you. Something for me to watch now. Uh, Bark is very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting because, you know, we always hear about drone deliveries and um, I've never seen it happen. You know, we kind of think that it's something that's coming in the future. But this is something thats that that you're behind and you got the first ever license in the UAE for drone delivery. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, How far away from that coming to realization? So let me, let
1: me take you through the story of, of how Barq came to be. Uh, Cause you know, I've always been tech, writing software, setting software, stuff like that. And then people were like, oh, all of a sudden he wants to make an electric vehicle. <laughs> and, uh, and what's up with that? So when COVID started, like the first days of COVID, I was, I was in India and I got stuck. Uh, I got locked down in, in, in India, basically got stuck in a hotel room for a few months. And you couldn't, just, leave no, uh, couldn't leave the room? no, couldn't leave the room, so i was I was stuck in and in, in, in there for for a good few months, and I was just like, you know when you have a lot of time to yourself, you start you know meditating, becoming a guru, and meanwhile, like just thinking about business, right and for me the the idea was extremely simple: is that there will always be a lot more light vehicle, lighter vehicles than there are heavier vehicles in this part of the world you'll always have more two-wheelers than four-wheelers. And my thinking was that there is nobody building any uh, two-wheelers for this part of the world. There's nobody building any wheelers, actually, for this part of the world. But, I mean, nobody building at the time, nobody was building anything light light vehicle for this part of the world. And it's a, it's a, you know, last mile delivery is on the rise, all of that. It's cheaper, faster, cleaner. And the, the usual way that would have went around is that, as a region, we would have looked out to China or India for a product. But the fact of the matter was that the demand in China is so massive that Chinese manufacturers were, uh, you know, that the, the supply was much lower than the demand. And same situation was in India. So I felt like it was okay, it was opportune for someone to come and build for the region and start supplying before the Chinese and the Indians would come in. And then the other part of that equation happened when, so there's a good friend of mine, his name is Shiv Punj. He worked on smuggling me out of my hotel room into his farmhouse in Delhi. What a friend. Yeah, <laughs> great guy. I mean, shout out to Shiv. <laughs> he took me out of where I was uh, in, 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 in a place called Chennai. He smuggled me to Delhi where I spent a lot of time in his, his farmhouse. And it was surrounded by all those brilliant people who had, you know, a lot of insight onto the industry, uh, the likes of Ratan Tata, the likes of all of all of different people, uh, the Munjal family, all of those different people who were very involved in the automotive making industry, Ta- and Tata included. Yeah, and 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 when 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 I was there and just talking to those people and brainstorming with them, I discovered that vehicles had a DNA, right? So, and the DNA of a vehicle that was made for San Francisco or East Coast United States was not the same DNA of a vehicle that was made for downtown Jeddah. Yeah. Uh, if you drive a Tesla in San Francisco, it performs very differently to how it performs in Jeddah.
0: Heat being a factor.
1: The elements, right? Is it heat, dust, sand, uh, the, the kind of asphalt on the roads, all of that plays in, right? A car is a bigger ecosystem. When you look at the actual breakdown of of, of the vehicle, the engine, the power terrain, it's a much bigger ecosystem. So the inefficiency is not as high. So you would find that there is a variation of performance of about 15 to 20 percent, which is not massive. So instead of going 400 kilometers of range, it would go 340, 350. doesn't make that big of a difference. When you compact this ecosystem and you put it onto a bike, the difference becomes massive. 50% 50% of difference means the difference between you going 150 kilometers and 70 kilometers, which is very big, right? And this is where I discovered those vehicles need to be created with the DNA for this part of the world. And that's where we we started, you know, putting the, the ideation of, of, of Barq together. We put together a very competent team, uh, did a great job. My co-founder is uh, Mazen Jubeir as well from, from here, from Saudi Arabia, very avid investor. And I like to refer to Mazen as the Peter Thiel of,
0: <laughs> it's part of the what world a, what a compliment
1: yeah and um not a company he's earned it you know inshallah <laughs> inshallah he's, he's done he's done subhanallah one of one of the best investors i have had the pleasure of you know rubbing shoulders with and you know over a bunch of conversations uh, different ideation projects putting together the right team uh we've managed to come up with a vehicle in, in almost no time so nine months till our vehicles were rolled out um, we've started testing them earlier in the year, performed very well with testing, and now it's more of a commercialization run for the company. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, how do um, drones tie into the initial question?
1: So it's it's light mobility. So for us, when we started, we wanted to make a bike. So we we, we figured out that the 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 situation of delivery is so that there is a no one size fits all vehicle. You cannot deliver everything in a bus. You cannot deliver everything in a pickup. You cannot deliver everything in a car or a bike or a bicycle. You like need for different delivery needs. You need a you need a different delivery vehicle. And we found out that drones were the best ever delivery vehicle, right? If sustainable, but because of technology limitations, drones have a very limited payload capacity. So we figured that drones will operate perfectly for small ranges, small radiuses, and very light packages pharmaceuticals, government paperwork, stuff like that. And that's where we started with drones. And we figured that drones are cheaper and faster within that radius. How about a pizza? Uh, you can, yeah. But like max Yeah, load. so you, you, the max load of a drone is, 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 is now on our drones, probably around uh, a, a bit short of four kilograms. Four kilos, yeah. So you can deliver a, a nice meal, right? But uh, we found out that there is more urgency in pharmaceuticals. Uh, biomedical, like uh, blood tests, samples, uh, what have you, things that are time sensitive. Because you, let's say, let's take a pizza delivery for an example. Delivering it on a bike uh, will take you 30 minutes and let's say will cost you $7. Those are pretty accurate figures. Delivering it in a drone will take you seven minutes instead of 30 minutes and it will cost you $6. So the cost component is not really a breaker here. The time component is definitely is, but who's willing to pay? The difference to get their pizza in a drone doesn't really make a lot of sense. But when you look at a blood sample, to deliver it in a cold box will cost you $30 and an hour. When you deliver it in a drone, it takes like six minutes <laughs> and
0: $6. Can you send it back in the drone? Of
1: course. Oh, so it's drop-off
0: pickup? You can do whatever you want. right? So wow. the drone is
1: is a vessel and you can teach it what to do interesting yeah and and the nice thing about drones is they're unlike what people think they're completely automated so you don't you don't drive the, you don't pilot the drone it just you tell it this is point a point b pick up land and it does its thing mm.
0: when you started when you graduated college did you do any time in the family business before saying i want to do my own thing
1: so i was forced into the family business by my father's uh, passing away yeah so my father Sorry. Passed away, Allah, yirحمu, Allah in 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 my uh, second to last year of university, and you uh, <laughs> a few steps back, I never I never wanted to work, so I was born comfortable.
0: Okay. I uh, had. <laughs> uh, you wanted to chill.
1: Yeah, but... Alhamdulillah, My father was, and and uh, you know, a lot of the people in Jeddah would vouch. Like anybody who went with me to high school would <laughs> would tell you. Uh, back in high school, I wanted to become a football player and I did not really want to do a lot of work. I just wanted to pass by and, you know, uh, relax. <laughs> and they say, well, what was the phrase they use in Jadda? You know, <laughs> so that was, that was the dream, right? That was the ambition. Uh, but, um, you know, with my father's passing away, pushed me into the family business. My father, Allah, uh, to his own right, was very successful uh, in everything he did.
0: Uh, what line uh, of
1: work? So he started in manufacturing in China, ran a massive manufacturing procurement business, then jumped into aviation. He built a sizable aviation business, and then he passed away. Uh, When I was in my second year of uni, I had to step in and basically take care of his business. And then the first thing I did to the family business was sell the family business, which is not the exact advice I'd I'd give anybody going into family business. But yeah, so I went (laughs) and I did that. And then I picked up on my own and started doing my own thing. Shareholders were happy. Um, arguably, probably, you know, look, uh, there's there's one saying. I think it was Warren Buffett. He's like, you know, a good deal when nobody walks out happy. That's a fair deal, right? <laughs> uh, nobody walks out happy that a fair that. deal, I right? Th- everybody, everybody feels like they they're owed more. Uh, everybody, you know, as as humans, Subhanallah, we have the tendency to. You know, in the Quran says, the Quran says, جَدَلًا We're very argumentative creatures, yeah. subhanAllah. And we tend, as human beings, to install immense upside on our own personal value. Yani, we, we over-appreciate our work and our involvement. Whenever you hear a story of any business breaking up, everybody thinks they've done everything. Yeah, whenever you hear a story of any problem, you, everybody feels like they're completely owed something. They're very, their effort was more important, but I did more. I stayed up later. But like when you subhanallah, come and weigh it up from a third viewer perspective and look at it from a bird's eye view, you find that things balance out most of the time. It's just that a lot of people put more, more, more value to their own work out of selfishness, out of being human, whatever it is. Entitlement, entitlement, entitlement. That's that's the word. I
0: hate that characteristic. I'll yes. say it. I'll say it on this.
1: But but to, to, for better or worse, all of us are entitled. Some some of us more than others. Learning how to control your entitlement is definitely يعني, a trait of wiser, smarter people. Always. Lack, mm. in uh, most of the time, you find that you know <laughs> there is a lot of entitlement. So, are shareholders happy? And this is a question I get all the time because. We've had a bunch of exits, alhamdulillah. We've tr- we've dealt with good investors, bad investors, good co-founders, bad co-founders. Oh, like I've seen a bunch, and I've never seen a situation where investors walk out happy or shareholders walk out saying, you know, oh, this is this has been amazing. They do that in hindsight when they look at it ten years later and they have a bunch of experience and they see, you know, oh, this did good. Then they say, okay, you know what? That was actually a good deal. But in the heat of the moment, usually nobody, you know, usually if it's a good deal, not everybody walks out happy. If somebody walks out happy, you know, something is tilted. It
0: makes perfect sense, by the way. <laughs> trust trust Buffett to say that. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it, if, anyway, if, everyone, if everyone walks
0: out feeling normal, you know, then that's probably the fairest deal exactly,
1: possible. Exactly, exactly. You know? Or you usually would feel like, ah, I could have gotten a bit more out of it. But, you know, that's uh, mm-hmm. just human nature.
0: Fair enough. Um. You've done TED talks. I have. Yes. How, how many have you done? Uh, three, I think,
1: two or three. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. How was that? Um. So look, I'm. I'm. I. I, I try to be. When I was younger, I was more eager to speak. I felt like I, my voice was important. I have an opinion, and I need to vocalize it. And I'm the smartest guy in the room, and all of that. As I age, I I f- I become more and more selective about talking and. My most common answer nowadays to a lot of questions is Allahu Alam or uh, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) I'm not wise enough to talk about it. Uh, How was it? It was the first, like like, at first, when you know you get invited and they tell you come and speak at a TED, you you feel like, oh, I'm on a pedestal of thinking, I'm really smart, you know, like, and subhanAllah, very quickly, I got extremely. anxious about the fact that so many young men and women are listening to what I say and so many people are trying to apply my template of things to their life which gave me a sense of maybe I should not be saying what I'm saying without really calibrating is it wise enough does it actually apply is there any wisdom behind it or am I just saying it for the sake of satisfying my ego? Uh, Subhanallah, I, I found out that I, it was more about my ego than it was about actually benefiting anybody else. So I tried to pull back a lot on, on a lot of talking. Yeah.
0: You know what's um, something you just hit on it and I noticed it in myself as well. With age, we become a little bit more humble as to what we do and don't know. And uh, when an uncle of mine told me straight up, I think I asked him about a stock or where do you think the market's going to go? You know, I have a few positions. Mm. He's like, can I give it to you in one sentence? I'm like, please. And this is an uncle I very much look up to. Seen it all. Nobody knows anything.
1: There is like a saying that uh, one of one of my favorite, you know, investors as well, as Amar has, uh, Khadiri is also from Saudi Arabia. And Amar always tells me, the one truth we know about financial models is that they never pan out. <laughs> That's the only truth. If you're reading any financial model, if you're the most sophisticated yeah. investor ever, you know this is not gonna happen. <laughs> that's what you that's what you know. But then again, it comes down to human arrogance, I feel, or ego. The fact that we think we can control it all. Yeah. And subhanAllah, the aftermath of this ego is usually very devastating. So if you talk to the people who watched the 2008 uh, mortgage loan, yeah, you know, mortgage subprime, ideas, whatever subprime yeah, mortgage, yeah. you know, it's kind of, um, That was just ego. That, that was, was ego. just yeah. That was just investors, Wall Street thinking it can control variables. In a nutshell, for
0: those who are you know in their early twenties or late teens, 2008
1: market crash was due to a lenders over lending. So it was uh, the, the 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 so the banks make money. When they lend out money, right? So they need to lend out more money to make more money. And how do they make that more money? And year-end bonuses and profit reports. So they need to report more profit. The bankers make a ton of money, and then nobody actually knows what's in the what's in the cooks, right? Uh, so what happens 2000 and, between 2002 until 2008 is that. The bankers wanted to find as many people to lend out to as possible. Although those people were not viable borrowers. So you ended up with a situation where you would have people who work as a taxi driver and have loans on seven or eight homes. Wow. Uh, One guy saw this. So it was one guy who called that, 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 that bluff to the market. He said, you know what? Those mortgages-
0: It wasn't Lehman Brothers, was it? Uh,
1: it wasn't. No, those guys were the, were the, the, the worst. It was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> they were the ones but, that went under first. They yeah, were like yeah, the biggest- they, the yeah, bank, the, yeah, the first bank that took the dive. But uh, again, they, they survived. Um, but because of capital greed, because of Wall Street arrogance, because they were sure that they're going to get bailed out of this, they were taking loans that were defaulting, restructuring them, and selling them out again and again making a ton of money, uh, making a killing out of it. And by 2008, uh, it blew up. And uh, when it blew up, the amount of people that went homeless, the amount of, you know, it almost, you can say the USA is Evictions? Evictions, of course. People went homeless, the wave of homelessness that hit, uh, the wave of sickness that hit, the overload on the healthcare system, The Bankruptcy acts that hit, how many people lost their jobs, how many people couldn't feed their children. This was like a COVID Uh, for the US. It was, I would say, maybe worse because that wave of homelessness creates a very cynical cycle in a place like the United States, right? So you you get people who go on the street. All of a sudden, they get into drugs. All of a sudden, they get into crime. All of a sudden, you look now at a generation of people who were born homeless, born drug addicted, and unfixable unfixable to a very... Big extent, all of that because one guy on Wall Street decided he wanted to make a few million dollars more in bonus that year, right? And all of that because, again, as humans, Subhanallah, we we try to control or we thought we could control uh,
0: uh, the simulation, which yeah. we I don't think we can. It's unfortunate when you're when when we see examples or circumstances where the fate of a lot are in the hands of a few. And I, and I think that's negligence. I think that's irresponsibility. I think that, um, are, are these guys in jail? I mean, those- No, no,
1: no. They've made a ton of money. Some of them started new funds. There's, the banks are still the banks. Uh, the Fed had to bail them out. So it's, it's, it's arrogance to the point where you know somebody else has to pay for your mistakes because you're almost, you can't go under. You're too big to fail. Um it's a good movie. You know, yeah. <laughs> See what? Yeah, you're, you're too big to fail. Yeah, you're too big to fail. And at that, 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 that point in time, you start behaving without responsibility at all. And like you said, it will always be the case of human nature that the that, 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 uh, destiny of the many is decided by the few. Yeah. And this is this will always be the case. This has always been the case. This will always be the case. It's just that you pray, subhanAllah, for a good few. <laughs> yeah. A good few to lead the many. And that, that might result in, in some acceptable outcome. But what you see is that most of the few now are led by ulterior motives and things like greed, mm-hmm. and lust, and what have you. And this drives you know,
0: the and many. I think a, a real-life example of that is ask the many, the populace, in countries like the UAE, in countries like Saudi Arabia, The GCC in general, ask the the many, the populace, me and you, what do you think of the few in control, your leaders? And your answer will be, yes, we're happy because they're responsible with their decisions. They cover your healthcare, they cover your uh, air defense, they cover your education, they cover what it takes to live a happy and comfortable and, and, and safe life. صحيح.
1: And that's a massive ni'mah.
0: Huge, yani, huge
1: يعني yani Going around the world, maybe a lot of people here fail to see it because there's no comparable, or some people here have never seen what's happening outside. No. Back in, when you go out to a place that claims to be a first world country, like Germany or like the US, and you see people on the street uh, with no health care, yeah. with no home, with, uh, you know, can die out of hunger, nobody would notice, right? And you come to a place like Saudi Arabia where you're taken care of, you have healthcare, you have an institution, you have police, uh, you have safety, you're not getting robbed in the street for your watch or, or for, you know, a hundred pounds or something of the sort. Uh, Subhanallah, you start understanding how massive of a, you know, a ni'mah this is. And it's, it's, I feel maybe to an extent it's underappreciated. Because uh, because you have it Because we have it Because we have it And we take it for granted You don't
0: know what you don't know Yes You don't know what it's like To live in, in the shoes of someone Who is in a first c- uh, world country Like London for example yeah. Where it is a And uh, I love London I love the UK And I'm going to preface it with that But it's a shit show When it comes to crime
1: I would argue the UK Is not a first world country Like <laughs>
0: no, that's With not, the crime rate With the your, crime rate yeah?
1: With the education yeah. rate With the healthcare rates uh, with the airport closing every like a few months because people went on strike. Look at it today. Look at what's happening today. Uh, truck drivers are, are on strike. Trains, I was there two Trains days ago. Trains are on strike. Trains were on You're strike. You're getting robbed in the street for a watch. That's not a first world country. No. Not at all. Not, not, not in my, not after you've seen Dubai or Riyadh or Jeddah, right? So, uh, or Qatar or, you know, what have you. Uh, so no, I think and 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 uh, I sub- want people to appreciate that point. And Subhanallah, I think it's that the problem happens here is that a lot of people take this for granted to the point where they go into a dull light of criticism, and this is very dangerous. Is when you grow, uh, one of one of the athar or one of the very well good sayings that maybe resonate with this part of the region is 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 they say that. من اسباب دوام على الكفار حفاظهم عليها they
0: appreciate blessings so Please. you translate that for the audio um listeners so
1: it 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 basically says uh, the reason that blessings keep coming upon people without faith is that they protect their blessings
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, you, when you, when you, when you look at it uh, you go to a place like Japan and you look at the amount of appreciation they put behind their science and their IP you go to a place like the US People in the US protect their knowledge with, you know, look at their institutions. They protect their institutions. You never see them saying, oh, we want to burn Stanford University down because some guy, you know, nobody says that. You know, they have a massive, even though they don't agree on a lot, but they have a massive protection of their uh,
0: uh, infrastructure, if you will. They're a patriotic Uh, bunch as well. Yes. I love that about
1: the US. This is where I think. We need to be a lot more proud in our leaderships, in our infrastructure, in what we have for a few reasons because it is worthy of pride. It is definitely very worthy of being proud of. And then the other part, because it is if we don't appreciate what we have, it it is, it is usually the case of nature that it's taken away from you. And this is where I feel maybe we need to really uh, start putting a lot more appreciation into into what, into what we say. And, and you know, the saying goes, uh, and, and and you know, there's an Arabic saying, it, it says, uh, <laughs> You know, we say to light a candle is better than to curse the dark for a thousand years. Let's stop cursing the dark yeah. and start lighting candles.
0: It's uh yeah, it's a breath of fresh air what you're saying in so many ways, so much, Stoic advice coming out of you, and I want to get a bit more out of you now. (laughs) When I I love that word, I went to a school in England called Stowe School, and then
1: I just learned what that means like a month ago. My lawyer taught me what a stoic (laughs) stoic is, (laughs) gave me like a Marcus Aurelius book, and yes, (laughs) for
0: example, one of them, Um, compared to the rest of the world. How do you feel that the MENA region fits in terms of where they're placed as far as how technologically advanced we are?
1: So how, like judging our technical competency, I have an opinion on that that maybe a lot of people won't agree with, uh, especially within the tech space. Um, I wanna put it like in very simple imagery and and, 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 um, I hope my articulation helps. It's like we went, think of technology as a cake, right? that has been made by this artesian baker, like that's an extremely, he's been reserving this recipe like for three, 400 years. And we went and we copied the cherry on top. We said, hey, look, we have the same technology as the others, right? Uh, we did not copy the infrastructure. We just took the cherry on top. Said, hey, look, they have Uber, we have an, our own Uber. And you know, no, uh, that's not technology. And Al-SF. Uh, what happened in this part of the world is that we tried to copy the So user-facing technology is usually the last part, the last mile of technology. Uh, Email, uh, instant messaging, uh, what have you, like all the entertainment, uh, Snapchat, TikTok. That's usually the last mile of technology and it's all very new, right? Uh, Technology is is, is very old uh, if you look at it right now. If you look at when email came about, when the ethernet came about, that's the technology we need to be looking into um and the, the 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 proof of the pudding is that if we keep trying to copy consumer facing tech we'll never evolve because we are always bound to a back end that's not ours right uh, and the saddest part of this is a lot of mina founders a lot of MENA investors don't really understand this they don't really understand the layering of technology we don't really understand that the layer 1 technology is completely in, doesn't exist so if you look at MENA, uh, and this is something that keeps me up at night, if you ask me. If you look at this part of the world, uh, we don't have computing infrastructure. We use somebody else's computers. We don't have our own computing infrastructure at all. We don't manufacture anything when it comes to computing. Not the chips, not the processors, uh, not even the, you know, not even the cases, not even the silicon, not even the plastic, none of it, right? So heavily reliant. So so that that base, which is your base one your layer one of technology that is not yours somebody else can shut it down whenever they want to the second level of computing which is all your cloud services your storage services your security services that's not yours 97 98 percent of our data is on somebody else's cloud for Jeff Bezos to look at it as he pleases, you know, it's, it's a problem. It's, but... yeah, whether it's Amazon or Google or Alibaba or whoever, that that is somebody else's layer as well. We don't have any of that. You don't have sovereignty when it comes to that. When you look at the third layer, computer or or the deep tech level of, of things, where you start looking at actual algorithm work, actual coding work, actual banking infrastructure, actual and none of that is ours as well. So you look at this cake, all the layers are somebody else's and then the cherry on top, we have a cherry, they have a cherry. So and, and that's that's the that's easy word. But whenever we want to put a cherry, we need somebody else's cake. Mm. And the problem with somebody else's cake is that cake is they can take it, right? They can shut down the clouds, which is what happened with Russia, for example. They can shut down the consumer applications, which is what WhatsApp did with the Russians as well. They can shut down the payment infrastructure, which is what Visa and Mastercard did with. Uh, and that is... That is not an easy thing, especially when you are trying to become sovereign. In this day and age, if you're not, if you do not have digital sovereignty, I don't think you have any kind of sovereignty. And this is where I feel, where do we rank? How does our technological competence look like? Not very competent, Uh, and that's okay. the, the, The caveat here is that that's fine, that's okay. We're nascent, we're new. But I feel like a lot more effort, a lot more thinking, a lot more capital, Investors should try should start thinking long term. The people who invested in the first supercomputers and mainframes were not expecting returns next quarter. So we should start having those investors that don't think next quarter and think 20 years from now, what's going to be happening? Uh, More investing into things like quantum computing, more investing into things like cloud computing, more investing into our own. Technical digital infrastructure. Again, you're going to get a lot of the argument. Oh, that is very long term. We're never going to be able to match up. We're never going to be able to do it. I mean, look at China. Look at Singapore. Look at a lot of other places in the world. That they started where we started, and they were able to match up and basically measure up. Now, and this is, this is like a, a massive component, I feel, that nobody talks about enough. Digital sovereignty, right? Look at your phone today. Your hardware, your software is 98% coming from the same place. Yeah. Right? Does that not make you worried? makes me worried. Exposed. Right? You can uh, turn off the tabs at any point. No, the problem is I wish they turn off the tabs. The problem is the tabs are on, <laughs> right? That's even worse.
0: And we are exposed as right. you
1: like. So yeah, tell me privacy. Oh, I hit the terms and conditions they told me they're not. Yeah, yeah again, um, this is where I feel like a lot of our thinking should start going. And it's a long-term thing. It's not mm. a short-term vision. Uh, it's not a thing that we should expect returns on next quarter or next year, or next two three years. No, uh, we should really think long-term and go into deep tech very, very quickly.
0: What's crazy is that with the rise of tech, as amazing as it is, and how much convenience it brought into our life, and how much data is just available at our fingertips, I don't think in human history... Um, a person was ever as exposed as they are today. Definitely. You're literally naked. Yeah. yeah Look yeah. at the I mean the pictures, the conversations, the everything on our phone. Everything. It's our life. Yeah. When when I send my phone in for repair, or I want to get the new iPhone every couple of years, three years or four, uh, that six or seven hours where I go without my phone, I'm like a madman. Like, where is, you know, my life. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. We're, we're we're beyond addicted to it. And every year I tell myself new year's resolution Saturday, Friday or Saturday, I want to do a detox of no phone. I never end up doing it. It controls me.
1: Um, and that's a given. That's a very like strong uh, I don't know how you can combat that part of things, but um when you look at uh the, the, the bigger problem is now, great, you're spending all this time and all this data and you're putting all your information, your location, your calls, your contacts, your loved ones, your secrets, your whatever you want on that platform. That's what it is, secrets. Who's looking at it? Who's looking at it? Who's looking at it is the question. I'd rather have somebody in, in Saudi Arabia or in Abu Dhabi looking at my data than Zuckerberg. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> at least, uh, that's me, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. but uh, again, my, my people will protect me. Or not abuse me, <laughs> yeah. at a minimum, right? Uh, because look at it at the end of the day. This whole when you when you look at individual data, that's not very effective. But when you look at full population of, right? When you look at a country of, you have everybody's location. You know what they're eating. You know what they're drinking. You know where they are. You know it's too much who intel. Talking to, uh, you really are in control. Uh, yeah. So this is this is where it becomes very you know, a question mark.
0: You know what bothers me, Abdullah? What does bother you? If If we said the word Maldives, where's our phone? Maldives. Maldives. Yeah. I'd start to get rates tomorrow of hotels there and which airline to take. And that's like ambush, you know? Yes. So you're listening to what I'm saying.
1: You are, but you know, you signed. You, and the problem is you opted in.
0: So we tell them we're okay with that. You are okay with that. The it. fine print says you are okay with us here. <laughs> but he's a C's, right? I don't... Because I don't, I don't read the fine
1: Nobody does. <laughs> I know they, they count on the fact that nobody reads the T's and C's. Right? This is like a thing, where it's being made as long as as hard as possible. Da 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 da, da So that nobody reads it. It's insanity. What it's else capital- are we saying?
0: Okay, to? It's capitalism. It's, it's capitalism again.
1: Or... It's the the fate of the many decided by the few. By the few. Right? One guy built this platform for a billion users to use it, and that's what you get. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: Uh, we were talking about Naval just before the episode started And you just reminded me of something he said He said the most powerful people in the world Are those that are in charge of the passages or bottlenecks Of which information flows So the links that you're getting The news articles that you're getting What they want to show you What they don't want to show you The person in charge of that algorithm Today is the, most is the most powerful The gatekeeper The gatekeeper Yeah, Got to send you this episode by the way Yeah, please. Remind me um, we're going to take a bit of a turn into Abdullah, the person, life lessons, quotes, uh, an area of uh, the show or a moment of the show where I really look forward to. By the way, that first half was as, 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 knowledgeable, like there was so much knowledge gained from that first hour if it's been an hour that we've been shooting that I really have to thank you for because you just, Annie, thank you for not sparing any details. Thank you very much. Much, much appreciated. When someone comes up to you, Abdullah, and I would imagine that you do get a few people that come up to you with a business idea. Yeah. What's the first question or two that you would ask them?
1: Is it really a business? (laughs) That's usually... I mean I've 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 been I've I've been alhamdulillah lucky enough to invest in a lot of very cool stuff, very not cool stuff. And I can tell you safely that ninety nine percent of business ideas are not really businesses. What are they? Passion projects, uh copycat projects, me too uh stuff. Uh, I don't know what to call them. I don't want to call them something rude, but not businesses. Like you can call them whatever you want to call them, but they're not a business. Um, a lot of people don't do their their math. They don't do the research. They don't do. Uh, so my first question is why? Why this? Why are you doing this? Uh, you turn out you, and a lot of people don't know what they want to do, right? So I, you come to me, you're pitching me this idea. Say whatever. Like I want to open this. Uh, I want to create this auto felling refrigerator. Why? Uh, because we can sell so many of it. Okay, why do we want to sell so many of it? Uh, because people need it. Okay, why? And then you come up to the conclusion that because it makes money. Okay, is this the fastest way to make money? Probably not, Right. probably not. I would not want to build a self-restocking refrigerator to make money. Um, there's a lot of other things that can make money maybe faster, maybe easier. Uh, I wanna build it because I like refrigerators. That's a better answer than to make money. But the fact that you like refrigerators doesn't really make refrigeration a business. This is a case problem that has been solved you know, centuries ago. You don't really need to go about it. So when you drill down into a lot of those business ideas, you find out that there is no cause and they don't need to exist. Uh, if people ask themselves why enough, you would not find as many shawarma shops as you have today. <laughs> you would not find as many speciality coffee shops as you'd find today. Or theab, Or you know, whatever, right? Because if you like ask the questions and you say, oh, I want to open a coffee shop. Why? Because I want to make money. But there is like 300,000 other coffee shops right next to you. That doesn't make money, right?
0: How's the market not saturated, by the way? It is.
1: It is like extremely saturated. That's why the turnaround like of those shops is like three days. You know, they close up next year, you know, (laughs) most of them. And and that makes me sad because there's a lot of intelligence, a lot of uh, potential that is wasted on copying other people's success and mimicking and blah, blah, blah. Maybe if you... There's a good quote uh, by Abraham Lincoln w- w- where he says, "If you give me six hours to cut a tree, I'd spend the first five hours sharpening the axe. Spend the five, fi- the first five hours doing your research, and your idea will be a lot better. Will be a lot more refined. Um, yeah, this is this is where my first question is: Why? Why do you want why, why do you want to do what you want to do?
0: And what answer would make you say?" You, sir, have a hell of an idea on your hands. Uh, let's continue this
1: further. I've tried it and it works. That's the answer. Oh, yeah, proof That's, of work. I've tried it and it works, right? There's no better answer. Um, a lot of people come and ask me like, how do you raise money? How do you convince investors? If you are spending time convincing people of something, it's probably not convincing. If you can show something to people, they probably get convinced very quickly, right? So my one of my favorite pitches of all time was Steve Jobs and the iPod. He just held it there and he says, this, the, the pitch was this. He literally said, this fits a thousand songs and it fits in your pocket. That's it. <laughs> that's, all he, like, that's all he needed to say. What well,
0: the stock of Apple did the following day?
1: Uh, not the, I wouldn't want to look at it The following day What is Apple today Is the question right Fair enough It is the most Forbidable business In the world Like Apple is compared To Aramco Apple is compared To the next Apple is bigger than Most of the countries In the world
0: And the iPod Was the first domino
1: The, uh, the iPod The iPhone then the iPod.
0: The iPhone came before the iPod. I
1: think. I think so. I'm not. I'm not sure of the. Allah, I, don't, I don't know. I
0: I want to say the. I I want to say he, the. He could have been. Oh,
1: no 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 yeah yeah you're right you're right yeah. Right. So it was a computer the computer first iPod. the iMac.
0: IPod. And yes, the iMac. I mean, it was always there, yeah. but then when the
1: iPod the came, iPod I feel came. like everyone had the changer, attention. Yeah, game and then. So yeah, that's that's genius. He did not need to stand there and pitch, and we're gonna build it, and it's gonna be this, and it's gonna be that, and it's gonna do this, and I promise you, it's gonna be amazing. And please give me some money. It was like, this is it. I
0: think when you start talking less than investors, you're you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, you know
1: exactly. That's, That's very true.
0: I have a problem with the schooling system, and it hasn't changed since, because. Growing up, and I've said it on many episodes, it's no surprise to anyone who watches, that I was always put in the weakest. I'm choosing my words carefully. Weakest math class. <laughs> that didn't do anything for my self-esteem. That just gave me confirmations that I did not need confirmations of at the age of 11. And, um, and, and, and then I find out through my cousin whose kid goes to that same school today that nothing has changed since. Yeah. Question for you is a subject I don't even wanna talk about how the segregation, that's just beyond me, is idiotic. I wanna to get to a more important question, which is from all the subjects, and there are so many subjects that are taught in school, and some of them maybe should not be taught in school. Is there something that you feel strongly about that should be taught in, in the school system today?
1: I, uh, I think we should drop the school system today. <laughs> um, that's my thinking about the schooling system today. Wow. Um, I mean, haram it's, it's 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 ludicrous you know you're the problem is if if, if we just take this back you know to, to where, where where we are as a culture and what we are as a nation or as an ummah or as whatever you want to call us in our collective form um the muslim populace puts immense value towards education it is our doctrine, it is the first words, it is the first, you know, wahi, and it says, اقرأ, اقرأ. And it's, a, we've always been, unlike popular belief and unlike what most people think, we are the original form of formal education, right? We've formalized it. Um, the, the, the doctrine, Prophet says, You know, it's, it's, it's uh, the, the, the seeking of knowledge is embedded, ingrained into this culture to the point where people right now at a, at a point you know uh, are are going through extraordinary burdens to put kids and to put themselves through the education system which is a hoax mean, yeah, somebody needs to call this out sooner or later it's a it's an absolute hoax um, if you look at how this evolved to be right so ideally there was a time of in, in within within, I would like to say and I would like to argue that within the, the the evolution of the Muslim the Islamic message, there has not been a time of ignorance or jahiliya like there has been in Europe. There there has not been so Europe had had dark ages and then a Renaissance where education became a thing and whoa let's get educated that 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 was a thing for them. For us, it was a continuous seek of knowledge. I don't think it ever stopped, although it was shaped and malshaped in in many different forms, but. At a certain conjunction in in the early 1900s, uh, we started mimicking the European systems, whether it's in banking, healthcare, uh, education, everything, right? And at at, at that point in time, the only way to become employable was to get a schooling, Mm -hmm. right? And maybe a lot of people blurred the lines between being educated and being schooled. A lot of the most educated people I know today have never been to school. Come on. They've never been schooled. Really? Yeah. They're not schooled. They're homeschooled? Not even. How 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 did they? They're educated. By They're not schooled by life, <laughs> right? Beautiful. Look at Jeddah. This is a place that is yani, the bread and butter of this. How many of the businessmen that built this place up or Dubai or Abu Dhabi or uh, have been to actual formal school? Very few, very few. A lot of massive businessmen were, you know, even mostly illiterate if you want, right? They've never taken a formal class in their life. Dropouts. Our grandfather's generation maybe. Dropouts, uh, what have you, right? The problem is that the the, the educational system shaped a safety net that looked like, okay, if you get a good education, you're gonna be employable and you're gonna be able to earn a living. And that sustained maybe for, you know, 100 years. But today, look at it this way. You are schooled. You've spent all that money. You've spent all that time. Went to school. You went to university. And you're unemployed. And you are not only unemployed. The scary part is you are unemployable. Right? And that is threatening. Because this tells you. You're putting families through a situation where sometimes they have to take out loans. Sometimes they have to put themselves under immense burdens to put their kids into school where you are schooling them. You are meant to be shaping them up. You're meant to be making them, you know, you know, just forming their character, forming their skill set, forming, preparing them for something. What is that something? That's the real world. But you get university graduates today that are completely ignorant. They really don't know anything. They really don't know how to calculate tax. They really don't know how to make money. They really don't know how to get a job. They don't even even know how to interview for a job. They don't know how to write their CV. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm, I'm sure you see it. I see it every day. You see those fresh grads that literally don't know how to write an email.
0: Is this what? Is it just being over-institutionalized? Are they a product of the system?
1: Yes, yes. Obviously, the system is failing, those people, right? Because they all went to the same schooling system. They all studied the same stuff. And when was the last time you used like the Pythagorean theorem into anything in your
0: life? I don't even know what the hell that is. That is what you teach you. I'm a product of the system.
1: They teach you that in geometry class. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're teaching me how to calculate the circumference of a circle or a cylinder and whatever. And you're not teaching me how to write an email. You're not teaching me how to write my CV. You're not teaching me how to intern somewhere, how to get a mentor, and so on and so forth.
0: Memorizing math tables. Memorizing
1: math tables. Great, thank you. Uh, Fine. Uh, You need some level of those basic skill sets of arithmetic and reading and writing. But then the system needs to adapt to make people employable, to make people actually more, you know, you can actually put them into the system immediately. Because now this population of people is graduating, and excuse my lack of better words, useless, the government can't employ them because they're not employable. They don't know anything about governmental policy. They don't know anything about anything, right? Uh, they know how to calculate the circumference of a circle, which is not very useful in most in most and cases. What the hell that's going to do for you? They graduate from engineering, so you get a lot of engineers. They graduate as architects. You tell them, okay, go go bid me something. They're like, oh no, but I need experience. I'm hmm. not. I don't know. How. You graduate as a doctor after, I don't know, 10 years of whatever you're doing in medical school and you say, oh, I can't operate, I need like experience. As a lawyer, I need. I so see where you're going with this. Then why don't you go get the experience and skip the schooling part, right? So this is where, again, most of that schooling system was mimicked, was copied uh, from foreign institutions, the West, what have you. The West is now realizing that the schooling system is not really very successful. So a lot of people are taking the liberty of saying, homeschool, drop out, don't go to school. It's completely okay. Here, I feel it just mixed into the culture a little bit more to shame the no school uh, line of thought. Yeah, it's right? shameful. Yeah, so.
0: One of the first people people ask me when they're like, oh, your son, how old, five and a half, what school does he go to?
1: Yeah.
0: You know, if he wasn't in school, I would probably make up a school. Oh, he goes to... Happy camper, <laughs> you know, but he's actually at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would. Yeah, I think I would.
1: So this is, this is, this is where you're getting the sculpture. I go to places like Egypt and places like Jordan, and it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, you see those guys and you sit down, sit down, go to any coffee shop or coffee house and talk to any barista. I bet you there is a very high probability they're an engineer, right? <laughs> Massive, like I have like Yeah, because you go and you talk to this guy And you listen to this story Uh, Well, my parents wanted to send me to a private school Because education is better So my father took out some loan My mother worked as a teacher They put me through 12 years in school by hook or crook Then I had to do engineering Which is extremely expensive So I had to go into a good university A lot of tutoring, a lot of blah, blah, blah And then I graduated as an engineer I thought I'd get a chance to support Uh, pay back you know support the family what have you um now i'm four down four years down the line i'm working as a barista because it pays off better than engineering and i can't find a job as an engineer anywhere. so what kind of school like it's just a ponzi scheme right like you're it's extremely commercialized if you look at school fees around this part of the world it's just horrendous joke and 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 Okay again like it, can this is is this guy employable technologically like did the, does the school system prepare people for web3 hmm. does the school system prepare people for web does the school system prepare people for what kind of job it's dated the system
0: in 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 short isn't it
1: so i feel we need to start like putting more of the ethical of how soon can we make people employable and income generating right so If you make people income generating, that affects the full well-being of the whole community. I mean, that book right there, if you look at the first page, it says the financial well-being of our country or our economy is determined by the financial well-being of each and every individual, right? Think and grow rich. Yes. So... You need to start thinking as a schooling or educational institution or system, whatever you wanna call it, is how soon can I make people employable with the least number of schooling years possible? Can I make people employable at 10? Can I teach them to write code from age six to 10 so that by 10 they're employable and they can do part-time code writing? They come with value. Right? They can income generate. This makes so much sense. Can I make them design? If you're you're not, you might not be into coding. Coding might not be your thing and I completely respect that. Can I make them go into design? Can they do UI UX design? Can they do audio? Can they fix a podcast? Can they do, can they work lightning? What can, what employable skillset can I implement in a generation so that they are employable at the soonest conjunction of their lifetime possible? Because if he wants to go out of school at 13 years old, he could. If he wants to go out at 18, he could. If he wants to carry on, he could. But at any point in time, he's a productive, useful member of society. When you do that, and when you look at that, you will find that a lot of things drop automatically, not just unemployment. You'll find out that crime rate drops. You'll find out that drug abuse drops. You'll find out that a lot of the worst functions of society will start to be eliminated because people are busy, people are productive, people are producing. And the best factor of that is that your your wheel of innovation will start moving a lot faster because you can depend on your talent. You can build a lot faster. So this is this is my thinking about it. I don't know. A lot of people would say, no, you know, the schooling system is great. Education. I went to Cambridge. I went to this.
0: I don't believe in it. It's funny because you know when, when it's it's funny, and I say it in a depressing uh, tone. That by the time you graduate school at 22, or if you studied, you know, doctor, you're 26. But by the time you, you've spent 22 or 23 or 26 years out of your life, and you want to be employed, uh, you're looked at as someone who can't really contribute at that point because you don't have experience. So, so it is an issue of being overschooled. Uh, there's a reason why I think in Japan, do they start school at six, five or six years old? They don't. They don't. They don't start till um, till till late. Um, I, I mean, I think just like, honestly, just like the banking system, I think it's dated. It's just our, um, it's the familiar. And when, and but there's gotta be some countries around the world that have acknowledged this. I'm thinking Scandinavia. Think Finland, yeah. I think
1: Finland. I think Finland was one of the first countries that started doing things like three day or four day school week. Yeah. Stuff like that. There's Elon Musk, of course, with his own, like he opened his own uh, school for his kids mm-hmm. and a bunch of other, you know, friends huh. kids
0: it's uh yeah i mean i think that's something that's going to be changed soon it should uh just one second, one second. japan six Japan. Yeah. they yeah. started six they let you be molded to the person you are and then eventually tests. huh they do and they don't do tests yeah, yeah. fuck yeah, tests do <laughs> fuck tests that all that does to you is give you early anxieties
1: uh, i think all my sats and all my advanced placements
0: unnecessary pressure you're right we didn't talk about that the schooling i was system, not pressured
1: alhamdulillah like i i i wanted to fail like i <laughs> i remember walking into tests and just like choosing all c's for ads you, <laughs> <laughs> you rebel you and walking out of the test everybody looks at me like i'm a genius like oh this guy it's finished done, the test yeah, in like yeah. 7 minutes <laughs> what is it everybody's like panicking like it's just you know, peace out. Little did they know. <laughs> little did they know I'm feeling this thing. <laughs> run
0: to the gents real quick. do uh, uh, you pee know pee. that more <clears throat> and we're back and uh is wearing a hoodie representing the Mo show. <laughs> it's a bit cold in here. By the way, the reason why I have it cold here is because You're I have this quickly. No, not <laughs> at all. God, although that I can see how you can <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Well, the guy before you, or two people before you, actually, we went for two and a half hours. Oh. Yeah, we, yeah, we did some time. Um, but uh, one of the cameras died in the early days. And then I found out that there was a heat issue to it. Ah. Uh, it's like a fail safe. So I took all the fail safes off. But still, like I am magged, uh, or I have a complexity <laughs> that the camera will cut. So I make it cold. I leave with a cough at the end of it. <laughs> and, uh, and there we have it. Okay, where am I on this list of this episode that I'm absolutely adoring? How do you balance how do you balance the scale of applying what you've learned to then manifest it into a level where it becomes experimental? There's a lot of moving parts there, yeah, but like from thought to you know what? ooh, this thought is good enough.
1: let's execute. Uh, uh, for me, it's the other way around. Right, starts with the experiment, and then you get thoughts out of an experiment. So um, again, maybe a big part of of spending a lot of time outside of the region is that I never had the failure fallacy, right? So never had any fear of failing. I've 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 been. Um, I grew up being opted for as the guy who's going to fail. So I just accepted. <laughs> like I embraced it <laughs> very well. So I never had like any shame in like not not doing things well or anything of the sort. I never wanted to, you know, I'm, I'm, I had all my freedom of, of doing whatever I wanted. So I think um, the knowledge theory is, a, a lot of people think that the knowledge theory is built on success. And it's not the knowledge theory is built on failure, right? So if you look at any base of knowledge that we have, so call it breaks, like a breaking system, right? That's part of a knowledge theory. So many breaks have failed until we got to one that works, right? So you fail and then you put another failure on top of your failure, and then a bunch of people fail and put their failures on top of other people's failures until you get something that works. So usually for everything that works once, you have like a thousand things that did not work. And and that's the case of nature. For every line of code that works, there has been a thousand lines of course that did not work and so on and so forth. So when you start embracing experimentation uh, and you're okay with, that, with the result not being what you opt out for it to be, you start moving very, very quickly from failure to failure. And every failure carries with it more and more information. Now you become stupid if you start repeating the same thing, expecting different results. Einstein. Yeah. So what, what you need to do is that's that's what I always try and tell people. Start failing very early because by the time you've failed enough, you're very wise. And at that point, it's just you have to make the decision to never repeat any of the old mistakes. You just have to have, you know, a very good log of what doesn't work. And then by that time, you know you can you can start actually seeing a lot more success. It's funny because we only see
0: the finished product. We only see the success. Yes. Yes.
1: Deceiving. Deceiving and and is misguiding for, for a lot of people because you think that some people have a Midas touch and they never, you know, whatever they touch turns to gold. But the fact of the matter is, you know, and I've seen it firsthand. I was like, a lot of the time, like I ask myself whether it's within while I'm in, tra- in a transaction or building a business or putting together a product. I see. I really don't think that Bezos or like Zuckerberg went through this stuff, but then when I went and I saw those people in office and I like looked at a lot of those people in action, you, you see that on a daily basis they're failing on a lot of things, but the things that Forbes like to talk about are not are not the failures but just the, the massive success
0: and it's good to be aware of that honestly, um, because what I heard from a guy who was he- the king of YouTube in the early days. His name is Neistat. What's his first name? He was the first to post a a, a video a day on YouTube. Okay. Um, Casey, Casey Okay. I think he's got like over 10 million subscribers on YouTube. It could be more. Uh, he is the guy behind why bloggers became a thing. Maybe even behind why Podcasts became a thing that, ooh, I could now, with this mic and this camera, I can have my own channel and just broadcast it to the world. If you saw his picture, you'll know who I'm talking about. He was on uh, an episode with, I want to say, ah, he was on an episode with Rich Roll, fantastic podcast. And Rich asked him, he was like, Closing question is like, what, what advice do you, do you give to those in your space who are coming up? And he's like, the thing that pisses me off so much today, we live in a world where our views can be monitored in a second. We live in a world where we want to check the battery on our phone we can see it in percentage in a second. We live in a world where if we want to do anything, we can get that information immediately. Mm. It's not the same with results. No Patience, Patience and consistency will get you to where you want to go. We live in a world where we want to pizza. It's here, yeah. you know, by drone, six minutes, we said, or by delivery, 30. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The thing is, when that translates, as far as your psyche is concerned to that's how quickly you can get your results, you're going to be
1: disappointed. Exactly, because people think we have an abundance. Like we live, subhanAllah, this is a time of taraf or uh, extravagance. Uh, we live in abundance of everything. Uh, if you think about how we live today, people even who are not considering themselves to be rich, they're richer than the richest king. Of, of any given time, they have you have access to AC. that's, right? So we live in a time of extravagance and we do think that if we throw more resources at things, they will happen in faster time. And I see this a lot in companies. And one of the best sayings I've heard um, somebody tell me once was, you can't have a baby with nine women in one month. You need one woman in nine months, right? <laughs> so so this, is, this resonates, right? You sometimes patience. Patience is a massive ingredient that a lot of people lack. And patience is, is, is part of the mud of success. Um, you know, a lot of it's shaped with patience and uh, we lack it. I definitely do lack it as a person. And I think as a generation, there is a massive lack of uh,
0: patience. In the last couple of years, what has been something that you have been better at, at saying no to? Can I tell you why I asked that question while tell you think? Me, yeah. Because, because it was Naval who said, watch your life improve the more you say no to things. Watch your life improve. Is there something in your life that you felt that by saying no to more often, your life has improved for the better?
1: I can think of two things. I can do things. Think of two things. That one that I've had for always had, and you know, like a uh, uh, and and the other that I think more like developed. Um, first is saying uh, no to things I'm not interested in. Jamil. Um, to yes.
0: Please, people.
1: Not not kind of to please people. I was just always afraid of missing out. Oh. I always wanted to know what's late and great. I always wanted to be on to the next big opportunity. Uh, so you want to invest in this? Yes. You want to invest in that? Yes. You want to check this thing out? Yes. Uh, n- do you think this is interesting? And I would a lot of the time tell myself, "Oh, it's just me that don't that does not understand it. It's not that it is not interesting." And so I've developed this uh, now notion of saying, "No, this is stupid." a lot of things so and and I say no to meetings I say no to calls I say no to emails I say no to new investment opportunities I say no to a lot of things that I don't think are interesting like if if I'm in a meeting and I do this quite often and it's not like out of being rude or prejudiced or anything of the sort but if the first 10 minutes are not interesting for me I just leave because it's not interesting, and I could, and I get to say no. I don't really have, and I watched my life improve, doing that. The other part, and the other thing that I think I've always had, but mostly like never vocalized, or was saying no to opinions. Um, I think there is like, a, 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 I, I, and that's my own like thinking is that not everybody deserves an opinion. Um, I don't think democracy really works. And giving everybody an opinion is not really a smart thing. Um, and I saw this as culture in the most successful leaders that I've rubbed shoulders with. They say this is a stupid opinion a lot. You know, they look at someone and they say, your opinion is stupid. Keep it to yourself, you know we don't have that i think there is a lot of movement towards oh everybody speak out uh, everybody has an opinion no no not not everybody's entitled you earn your opinion you're not born with an entitlement it's to an opinion no because you're not you're not usually we have to acknowledge the fact that a lot of people are smarter than a lot of other people of course and the smarter people are much less and the smarter people's opinions matter more this needs to be acknowledged. I mean, we try and garnish it a lot of the time. We try and put a lot of makeup around and say, no, everybody matters. Every voice matters. No, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't because you give uh, enough stupid people an opinion, they can ruin it for everybody.
0: That's happening today, by the
1: and way. And this is it today, right? The, f- the and following and
0: the traction. Um...
1: A lot of a lot of different things. I'm not going to name issues because you know some of them get really like political or personal or what have you, but uh, a lot of the time we should just say shut up, you don't deserve an opinion, you know, keep your opinion to yourself. Uh, We've seen the World Cup, for example, a lot of nations came in trying to enforce their opinions and their cultures and their habits somewhere where it extremely does not belong. Uh, so shut up and keep your opinion to yourself. We don't really want to hear it, right? Nobody wants to hear your opinion. You know what bothers me about that? Yeah. 20 years ago, you weren't okay
0: with that. <laughs> so today you're okay with that. You want to put that on me?
1: Not, not Everyone's it. on their own timeline. Look, uh, so, so Subhan- one of my favorite characters of history uh, is Imam Al-Ghazali, right? Uh, Imam Al-Ghazali, I feel, is one of the smartest pe- people who ever lived, period for many different reasons. But he had a philosophy of thought that I think is to this day unparalleled and if followed will solve most of the problems that we quarrel with today. Imam al-Ghazali at his time was one of the most uh, profound, uh, one of the most eloquent, one of the most successful Islamic theologians of his time. And at his time, uh, philosophy became a thing. And people started converting to atheism through philosophy. What century are we talking? He's uh, five hundred years post Hijra, so you're talking about almost thousand years, thousand years ago, ago. nine hundred years yeah. ago, something like that. So a lot of people started converting to philosophy, and you know, using it as a pathway to atheism. And this guy was there as one of the most prominent figures of the Muslim theology, and he wanted to come up with something. So what he did is he wrote a book called the meanings of the philosophers. maqasid al And in that book, he explained philosophy so well that even more people started dropping Islam and becoming atheist. And a lot of people thought he became an atheist himself because in his explanation of philosophy it was so clear and simple. Even the philosophers themselves endorsed it to say, okay, you know what? If you don't understand what we're saying, this is what we're saying. And then he wrote another book a year later called Tahafut al which 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 translates to The Incoherence of the Philosophers, in which he bashed philosophy completely. And he said in his book, I wrote the first book to explain to people that I'm not just criticizing something that I don't understand. I'm criticizing something that I understand very, very well. And I do believe that until you understand something extremely well, you're not allowed to criticize it. In this day and age, you get people who have an opinion on Stephen Hawking. I'm sorry, but shut up. Like the, Negative opinion. Whatever kind of opinion, like you don't get to have an opinion unless you're as good as Hawking at whatever he, Hawking does. Right? You get people who have an opinion on what a ruler of a country does, unless you are in his shoes. Don't give me your opinion, because it doesn't really matter. Nobody gives a shit, right? Mm. <laughs> sorry <for> the <laughs> language. So I think this is something, Don't apologize for yourself. <laughs> something we need to in, ingrain into our kids, something we need to ingrain into ourselves as well is not your opinion only matters when you've earned an opinion. Your opinion doesn't really matter if you have not earned an opinion. And something that really not everybody deserves an opinion. Ray Dalio, like a, a good friend of mine and uh, one of the best investors of all time says, um opinions
0: are like uh huh is there's, there's the saying opinions are like everyone
1: has one he says he says opinions are a dime a dozen or something like that you know I, if you google it, you I, will, it. I will so, the one that came to mind was yeah. opinions
0: are like assholes everyone <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> everyone has one. <laughs> yeah,
0: everyone has one. And which just brought new meaning to it when you said that you know what not everyone should have I mean not everyone You need to come opinion. with a bit of gravitas or
1: not a bit a lot of because in this day and age where I can validate your opinion very very quickly you're completely absurd if I can you know devalidate your opinion in a second right yeah. Say I don't know. Say I don't have an opinion. It's okay not to have an opinion on something. And if you want an opinion, go earn one. Do not come and say, oh, I deserve an opinion because freedom of speech. No, you don't. No, you don't.
0: Um, Um, What I, uh, and and I agree with you, uh, honestly, because it just seems to be getting crazier and crazier. My father-in-law showed me a link, anything related to the West, because I went to school in the UK and US, you know, something happens there. He's like, Mo, what do you think of this? He showed me an article that, if I'm not mistaken, it was CBS or NBC, one of the major networks, that said that there was a, a, a political leader who was endorsing pedophilia as a medical condition. Like these are people who we need to protect, uh, and and they're in you know they're in dire need for our services and support, so we need to protect them. How about the child that got
1: molested? How about this guy? Shuts up. Do you know what I how mean? about this guy doesn't get an opinion that right? was an opinion i mean like i I really don't want to go there because I have like a very strong uh stance on this is that a lot of people just don't deserve an opinion a lot of people don't deserve an opinion like some German guy at some point in time had an opinion and decided to kill 60 million people with his opinion right so like keep your opinion to yourself a lot of the time like going into the workplace or things that are more foundational to our life you get You get into a room and you get a bunch of people with experience and you get a bunch of people with opinions. And usually the people with opinions are more vocal because, yo, I deserve an opinion. I have an opinion and I need to vocalize it. Freedom of speech, blah, 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 blah. No, I think there needs to be an acknowledgement of you're an idiot until you're not. And that's okay. That's completely
0: fine. Like guilty until proven.
1: That's respectable. It's okay to be an idiot for a while. It's everybody learns. If, as long as you decide not to make It's a good maintain. filtration yeah, process. Exactly. But do not try to overshadow the experience of people with your opinions because your opinions don't really matter. Uh, and it's okay for us to normalize telling people that uh, their opinion doesn't matter. I li- I would like to tell my kid as he's growing up that don't give your opinion until <laughs> it's very well backed up. Because if you're a guy that just shouts out opinions, your opinions are not really very relevant.
0: Sponge information. until you can formulate your
1: own way of thinking. Exactly, and then your opinion becomes a view. And there is a big difference between that. And I learned that just recently because a view is something that you see or you've seen. A view is more tangible. Your views on life are your experiences of life, things that you've seen or you are seeing. An opinion is a completely hypothetical stance. Uh, And an opinion usually stems out of ego. It does not stem out of knowledge. Correct. Right. So that's why you'd ask, come to somebody like Warren Buffett, ask him, what's your opinion on crypto? He said, I don't have an opinion. And he says, it's completely fine with him. Smart like, guy. He says, oh, yeah, don't. So ask Charlie Munger, mm-hmm. what's your opinion on this? or that?" I don't have an opinion. What's your opinion on Elon Musk? I don't have an opinion. It's fine. Go to the street like somewhere here and ask, what's your opinion on Elon Musk? Oh, he shouldn't be doing this. He should be doing that. What do you know? Like, what do you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> this guy built a trillion dollar empire of businesses. Well, what did you do? So I I think like just to, to wrap up this point, I think Floyd Mayweather the other day, I heard him saying something about some guy was criticizing one of his opinion opponents. I think it was Canelo. I don't know if you're into boxing, but like, a little uh,
0: bit. I mean, I know who Mayweather is.
1: So there's Canelo is a very good boxer, like very esteemed, like a uh, world champion a few times and blah, blah, blah. And then one guy was sitting on a podcast with Floyd and he was criticizing Canelo. And he was like, until you're Canelo, you can't criticize Canelo. <laughs> and, and that's the truth of things.
0: Have you walked a mile in history? Exactly, shoes. Yeah. like yeah.
1: until you have done what that guy has done, until you're like world champion six times in a row, don't criticize the world True. champion six yeah. times in a row.
0: Also by speaking, you run the risk of being, you know, confirmed that you're an idiot. You'll never get, you'll never be thought of an idiot by saying nothing.
1: Oh, uh, 99% of the time you're confirmed you are an idiot by speaking. by speaking. You always look smarter when you're silent. When
0: you're silent, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I've gotten away with so much just by not talking.
0: <laughs> There's a quote, I love Abdullah. <laughs> uh, a, smart, a smart man once said nothing. Yeah. Um, you know what, I need to fix that. A smart person. Once said nothing. And there is so much value to that. 100%. Isn't it the smartest person speaks last?
1: hundred percent. He who or laughs. Speaks, speaks least. Speaks least. Speaks last. Yeah. Speaks least. Doesn't speak at all. It could be. You're right. But Imam Ali, for example, says, I've, I've regretted. I never remember a time I don't regret not speaking. But I remember a lot of times regretting to speak. Which is which true. is the case. And subhanAllah. And Allah يعني keeps us away from this opinionated. True, uh, true. I don't think there's any liberation in having an opinion. No, Everybody no. has an opinion. So true.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but you know what? It it everyone does have an opinion, but but some should and should not share it. Exactly. You'll never get in trouble for something you don't say unless it's I love you too to your wife. <laughs> uh moving
1: <laughs> moving on 100%. <laughs> I don't
0: know where that came from. Um I was going to ask any favorite coach to live by. I'm we'll leave that to the end because there's some so many gems that you dropped on me here. In the last couple of years, okay, is there something that has improved your life so much that you wish you started incorporating it earlier?
1: I uh, a lot, a lot of things. I don't, like I'll just blur up whatever it comes to mind. But um, I think like if if I had you know advice to, to give someone is that mentorship is extremely important you are never too smart to be mentored Uh, build up i think there is a very big confucius uh, a confucius school of thought or Confucianism is a lot on standing on the shoulders of legacy and continuing where others have finished don't start from scratch like that's not smart there is no heroism in starting from scratch Start where other people have finished and don't 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 really re rebuild and re re don't reinvent the wheel uh that's that's that that's a big part of my philosophy of thinking and it's helped me produce things a lot faster I think when I gave up the idea that I want to build everything from scratch um fail i guess <laughs> like simple as it is fail just fail a lot um it's okay you'll. You you have to, you have to, like in, in your way to becoming whatever you're thinking of becoming, you have to fail a lot. Uh, you are never going to be able to satisfy everybody. This is not going to happen. There is not going to come a day where everybody is going to say, oh, he's a good guy or this guy's a great guy. So just do your thing. Do, do, do as much as you can uh, with a good conscience. Uh, don't cut any corners don't try to cut any people out don't like don't do any of the underhand stuff but do not expect that because you do good people are going to be good that's that's just a that's a lesson that I keep learning uh, is that Subhanallah. I was talking with a mentor of mine the other day and I was saying you know listen how come like you know you do good and blah 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 and you are at least you think you're doing good and then you find out that there's a bunch of people that are upset and he, he said to me, you know, in this part of the world, people didn't agree on the prophet until recently. So don't expect them to, you know, agree on you. <laughs> this is a perspective, is, perspective, isn't it? It's not gonna happen. It's like people had a, had a, you know, not everybody around the world, people had a problem accepting God for a very long time. So don't think you accepting you is gonna be, you know, a thing. So, yeah. That really puts my
0: mind uh, at ease, you know, anyone yeah. that hears that.
1: <laughs> one, uh, one, one very good friend of mine, and then the person who I learned a lot from as well, uh, his name is Mansour Mansouri. You know, like a, very much, very wise beyond his, his his years, and he keeps telling me that whenever you're trying to achieve something, you will face uh, resistance of some sort. You will face some uh, bad intent. You will face some people saying stuff and and all of that. So it's okay. It's it's part of the process, and, and I take that to heart. Uh, Sometimes it affects you, it drains you, it brings you down. You start thinking, okay, why? Da, 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 I deserve this. I don't deserve this. But really, don't don't give it a second thought. I think is 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 a better way of thinking. Uh, I would I would also think that you know uh, having good a good partner is, is 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 very important. I did not acknowledge that before by using the love you too part to your wife. Uh, I think a good partner is an extremely uh, important foundation of your life. Um, and I'll, I'll circle back to that, but because I've learned that it is, if you are a high performance or a high performing individual, you're not okay. Just give up on the fact that you're going to be stable in the head, you're going to be a very calm, very self centered, very Zen. You're not. Uh, people under high performance uh, situations are usually not okay. And you can't expect them to be okay. And it's okay to not to be okay. <laughs> so if you look at people in high performance, whether they're athletes or whether they're in the army or whether they're in government or whether they're in business or academia, they're not okay. <laughs> they're just not s- balanced, you know, extremely okay people. And when you look at them, you can tell those guys are not okay. They're weird. You know, they don't, you know, they're not exactly socially acceptable. They're not exactly the most uh, fun to be around people. They're mostly very toxic. And they move their toxicity around because that's what their situation is. Um, And you can see it manifested, you know, when you look at guys like Zuckerberg, like Elon Musk, like Adam Newman, like Travis. Like when you watch all those, when you hear people talk about them, oh, this guy was very toxic, this guy was very hurtful, this guy was very blah, 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 very aggressive, very this, very that. But look at what those people have built and you quickly put together. uh, that those guys, uh, what are you expecting, this guy to build a trillion dollar business and be like a very nice, mushy fellow that you can, no, they're going to be aggressive and they're going to be sometimes depressed. And I don't know, there's a, a, I think, I don't know if it's on Netflix, but it's uh, like a documentary called The Weight of Gold. I don't know if you've watched it. have not. It's it's about like an actual post-Olympics syndrome that hits all Olympians. Oh. So most Olympians try to commit suicide three months after the Olympics. And that's a true stat.
0: Because, because it's over. The goal has been...
1: Because they don't know what to do anymore. They're depressed. Nothing to run towards. Nothing to run towards anymore. They feel lost. They feel, you know, wow. they don't have a purpose anymore. Uh, they feel like, you know... What do I do now? Uh, people like Michael Phelps, right? One of the most achieved uh athletes of all time, you would think, oh, this guy has it all, he should be okay. No, he's not okay. <laughs> and that's fine. So that that brings me to the point where when you're when you're in in that situation, I think having a a life partner or or somebody who can center you, uh, bring you back to like drag you out to consciousness and you know, absorb you. Uh is subhanallah a massive نعمه that a lot of people really really underestimate.
0: Uh, I've, I've seen it in people. Yeah. Uh, in 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 relationships that all was good and relationships were typically all was not good and and what kind of a person came out from that and then to when they were with a different person and how they have
1: transformed. I I think I think this resonates a lot with me because I could say ha, like this kind of relationship can either make you like the hero you've always wanted to be or you will watch yourself become a villain if you're intoxicated enough by that kind of extremely close presence to yourself and like you said some people I see them walk out of those relationships as my, we we're just talking about a friend of ours and mashallah extremely good relationship very solid partner. And he's improved a lot, <laughs> and we see other people who walk into a relationship, very good people, very you know happy, and then it dismantles them. So having a partner is, I think, is is, is, is something I, I I learned, and uh, I know a lot of people. Subhanallah, maybe off topic, but a lot of people I meet uh, in this day and age they say, oh Allah, we don't want to get married. It's expensive. It's mut'ib uh, and it's you know commitment and uh, and I
0: see my friends not happy.
1: And a lot of it, you know, we want to stay away from it. I want to, you know, choose the right person and all of all of that. Like in my advice, is do it as early as possible. And even if it's not, yeah, if you're in, in with a partner that's interested in your financial means, they're probably not the right partner. Mm. But, but again, when you do it, SubhanAllah, there's a different kind of barakah that that happens. There's a different kind of, yeah, uh, uh, fulfillment that happens. You become a much more centered, more responsible person. It's 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 a at least at least for me at least that's that was my subhanallah my own experience and, uh,
0: my yeah. issue with the too early is that you don't know yourself uh, to know what you want you're probably not going to talk about how you want to raise your kids you're probably not going to want to talk about uh, what your expectations are of her there's a lot of things that probably go under the radar that you don't acknowledge at the age of 22 23 as you yes. would tw- 33 or, or 32.
1: i don't think this is a problem with too early i think it's a generational problem of a generational because look at our parents and grandparents. They all got married too early. But the, pro- the, the good thing for them is that when they went into that relationship, they knew that there was very hardly a way out. They needed to make it work okay. somehow. And the relationship, like anything else, will fail at the beginning, I think. will be very difficult until you fix it. You know, it's not going to fix itself. So until you fix it, it's going to be very difficult. The problem with this time and age is you're probably... Subhanallah, the way romantic relationships go is that there is a sweet beginning and then a bad middle, a good ending or a bad ending, and then maybe a continuation if, if you can do that. And that's why you see people break up and come back, break up and come back and then stuff like that. But the problem is, uh, I feel, and, and that's just uh, is, is that people want the sweet beginning. They don't want to suffer the middle. They don't, want to, they don't want to have any difficulty. So the minute that suffering happens or the minute that complexity happens or there's a bit of friction, they opt out because there's so much choice now. Choice. For you, you have a ton of choice. Just open any social media platform. For her, there's a ton of choice. So that, that really keeps the question of, oh, I have other options open. And I think this is a syndrome, they call it the Netflix syndrome, where people keep browsing but never choose, right? I don't know if that ever happened to you when you go on a platform like Netflix and you browse. All for, the time. For hours. Yes. And you never choose. I end up watching trailers. Exactly, you never commit. You watch 50 trailers and then you're tired, you wanna see it, and that's it. So I think the whole generation has a Netflix syndrome of fear of commitment. They don't want to commit to a business. They want to keep trying jobs and maybe I like this. I want to find whatever I like. I want to find my passion. Whatever, right? So they never actually commit. And then all of a sudden you're 30, 40 years old and you're stuck with a job and you can't really start anything um, because you were exploring your passions or whatever you want to call it. You don't want to commit to a partner because you want to keep exploring your your flavor of the day, week, month, whatever, whatever it is that's rocking your boat. You don't want to commit to a place to live even. Because yeah, you want to try out this, you want to try out that and so on and so forth with everything else. And subhanAllah, you end up with people who are characterless at the end of all of that because they don't know what they are. They're still exploring. So I I feel maybe that that, that becomes a matter of a bit more fundamentalism to be pushed into people to like choose, like commit. And then see, it might not work out. That's always an option. There's no like guarantee that anything is going to, there's no guarantee that your startup is going to work out. There is no guarantee. But if you never commit, you'll never know. You'll never know.
0: And that's reflected actually in what you said earlier about uh, our grandparents. They got married at a younger age. And, and I, I want to back up actually a point of yours because the divorce rate was so much lower back then. And now Saudi has an astronomical astronomical rate of,
1: of divorce. I don't think it's just Saudi. I think it's yeah, yeah regionally, look at, globally. Look at, look at Egypt. Yeah, yeah. Look at the USA, right? Look at and and that's uh, the UAE, uh, our license. It's problematic and divorces. Is, 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 yeah, I mean, it's a difficult thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, truly, truly. Um, b- further to your point about if you never know or if you never try, you'll never know. I came across a saying recently that says the worst possible day for a person's life is when they meet the person who they could have been. And I was like, oh my God, the depth of that. Yeah, Yeah. So you see a person that, you know, when you're 50, 60, 70 year old and you meet someone and he has a life that you could have had but you didn't because you were scared or whatever. That is personified as the worst day of a person's life by not taking risk, by not going after what you wanted, by not working harder, by not understanding the fundamentals of, of, uh, of subject A or B. Doesn't that get you?
1: 100%. It doesn't even get me for the future sense, it gets me now. The amount of people I see that are busy watching other people become something that they could be, right? Uh, is is just sad. Uh, you have a lot of people in this day and age, very young, very talented, and they choose to instead of apply their talent and go do something, they choose to watch the, the people who are in application, either criticize them or keep thinking to themselves, I, I want to be that. and And that creates an atmosphere of hatefulness of jealousy, of a lot of ill emotions that come out of of the society. Because in every society you have the doers and the watchers. There are people who do things and there are people who watch people do things. And if you are on this side, you always wish you're on the other side. The doers never wish that they were watching. They just pick up, roll up their sleeves and do, right? But the watchers are people who basically I could do that, I could be that, but I can't. But look at Dai. Look at that guy, he did it because his dad. He did it because he has money. He did it because, oh, he knows someone. He did it because he used his network. So justifying. They start justifying why they can't do it or why that person succeeded. And it is extremely, yeah, like, and, and that's one thing that maybe I find differentiated in the West, which like I, you go to San Francisco, you never find somebody, you know, saying, Oh, Zuckerberg built Facebook because his father was from this source or, so or so tribe, <laughs> or his father was minister of so and so. It's not like that there. And grow him a license. Yeah. There is none of the personification of why you couldn't do it. They acknowledge that this person was smarter, this person worked harder, this person was whatever. And I think this is this is part of it. Because it breaks you as a person when you exactly what you said it it, it you, there is no coming back from you looking at people with eyes of jealousy you're just there Khalas, you're you're subhanallah uh, it's one of the worst uh, traits that, that come into 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 a person because when you're jealous you are a lot of other things that come with the package it doesn't come on its own i think it comes in a in a in, a, in, a, in a, like package right and when you're there uh, it's going to be very difficult for you to get out of there yeah uh, and uh, they say one 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 verse of arabic poetry i think it says like all all foeship or all hatefulness can be mended except for for foeness or or hatefulness that comes from jealousy that can't be mended because Somebody who's there is stuck. And uh, subhanAllah, I think it's a difficult
0: thing. It's an ugly trait.
1: It is. Yes, yeah. it, it is. Because it
0: is. that's where the end comes from. Of course. And not ah, it's
1: not. Said, yeah. SubhanAllah, it's, if you look in Ibn Khaldun, does like, a nice classification of human traits in his muqaddimah right? And it's it's a very interesting thing. He says, a person who's jealous is usually string- stingy. <laughs> and a person who's stingy is usually a coward. And a person who's a... Who's a coward is usually uh, how does he name it is not pioneering. These are all horrific traits, right? You're and right. and, and it's they bundled stem, up, yeah, yeah, And they stem from one thing, right? So you're you're jealous, you're hateful, you're stingy, you're cowardly, you're not pioneering, and you're a criticizer. And he 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 names a bunch of a few other stuff, and yeah, and yani, Subhanallah, look at somebody who has those traits. Eventually, doesn't make for any. You know, social setting It doesn't make for a good partner, doesn't make for a good husband, doesn't make for a good family member. I it, it, it becomes a toxic, like a, an extremely toxic, cynical circle. I, I think, and Allah Is it something that you
0: ch- like? If someone was jealous, like, would you try to get him uh, uh, someone close to you who's yeah, jealous? Would you yeah. try to almost pull them away from that? Is it something that they can help, or is it
1: innate? I think I I, I think it's a mix. Yeah, in Islam. Uh, or the, the, the Muslim school of thought co- calls this out you know and it classifies it very well there is something we call ribta and that is competitiveness if you will i want to have what you have i just don't want you to lose it i want to be as good as you are i want to be able to have as much as you have i'm i'm just not concerned with whether you lose it you know mm-hmm. i don't want you i don't want anything bad to come against you that's Ghibta I want to be successful like the other successful people. And it's in the Quran, it says And we have the school of mentorship and we have the school of mimicking. Yani whoever you see has a good trait, is a very good thing to mimic and respect and appreciate a good trait and call it. That's that's, that's a different thing. Hasad is ill, is, 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 is a sickness. And like any sickness, it's, it's basically hasad, the, 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 the innate function of it is I want you to lose what you have so I can have it, right? I don't think you deserve what you have. I ask myself the question, why him? Uh, why wasn't I born in his place? Why, Like all of those, subhanallah, uh, demonic uh, thoughts. Uh, and hasad is a sickness uh, or, or, or uh, like any sickness, jealousy is a sickness that at certain points can be treated, if observed early, that like, can at some points is uncurable because somebody's in too deep, right? Somebody's in very personal. And uh, you see a lot of massive businesses uh, fail because of hasid, because of jealousy. It's a real thing, uh, man. It's because of ego uh, and so on and so forth. Because when you're jealous, your self-concept is very weird, is very <laughs> different from reality. You think you're a lot better than you are. You look at everybody else with belittlement. Uh, and that comes from jealousy is that you feel like you deserve everything. You're entitled to everything. You're whatever. I think parents have a big role to play with their kids, to humble them down a lot and take that away from them and teach them that other people also deserve good stuff. And the fact that other people getting good stuff does not limit your uh, well-being. And, and, and again, this is, this is a big concept here in this part of the world is that if somebody does a good idea, they're gonna take all the good ideas, and the uh, there are no more good ideas. But like wealth is built in a way, subhanallah, that it expands with expansion. يعني, this you call it in in Arabic the zero you say The more it is, the more there is. Think of it this way: yani. if you would have thought 50 years ago, at my dad's age, I I used to have that 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 idea was all the good ideas are taken. They already took the McDonald's franchise. What are the good what are the other good ideas that are going to come? Like in subhanallah Rizamaksumum, in a way, when you have when we went from, let's say, brick and mortar industrial revolution to tech, a lot of new opportunities opened, and you had a lot of new tech billionaires come up and new billion dollar ideas come up. When more people innovate, more opportunity opens. Yeah, today we're we're saying quantum computing. This is like the cutting edge, let's say technology or AI, once somebody makes that, they'll make a lot of money out of it. Like, and that does not mean they took all the rizq out of this place because you're gonna need now AI development companies, AI marketing companies, AI this company, AI that company, which will give opportunity to a lot more people. For that's a, that's what, what people think about, okay, we want everybody to do well because we can do well if everybody's doing well. Like and when you have that uh, ill trait, uh, uh, Subhanallah, it becomes a very difficult society.
0: It's a fascinating uh, point that you just touched on. That um someone that maybe died in the late 80s, early 90s, before the internet dot com, whatever you want to call it, probably thought that what else is there to be invented? Go back to the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas. You know, it's it's that era where phones were the size of God knows what, you know, it was like, what else can they think of? Now, I will go on a limb here and say, total value of everything sold, industrial revolution, up until internet boom, total value of brick and mortar, every transaction, okay? Put that on plate A. Plate B, all the value of the transactions of everything that came via the internet. You're, You're talking about, 25 years versus 100 and maybe some odd years. Oh, a
1: lot more, yeah.
0: I I would and someone asked me which one is heavier on the scale? I'd say internet. Oh, definitely. In terms of transaction. Definitely. So little, you know, my point of like in 1991, 1992 somebody thinking that We have thought of everything. We've invented anything. But little did you know that the total value of transactions in the next 25 years will outweigh everything we've done since the Industrial Revolution. My guess is that. And the fact that you're agreeing.
1: You don't have to guess it. It's just that the the, the logic adds up. If you were a factory back in the Industrial Revolution selling cups, you only had access to so many people.
0: Geographically, yeah.
1: Right? Today you put it on Alibaba sells Alibaba sells as much as the GDP of 10 countries on a single day.
0: Come on. Right?
1: It it did, I think, this year, $22 billion in an hour.
0: Yeah, they're nuts, by the way.
1: $22 billion was maybe, I would want to guess, like 20 years of production. In an an, hour? In in an hour, yeah. Uh, uh, Look it up. So that might have taken I think it was, yeah, $22 billion in an hour or something like that. So, or in 24 hours or an hour, I don't know, not
0: sure. Hours record, us yeah. see record. Singles day record. Oh yeah. my goodness gracious. What is it? 139 billion dollars. In an hour? In an hour.
1: <laughs> I thought it was
0: 22. <laughs> in their platform, singles day Single shopping, day? Yeah, setting yeah, yeah. a new record.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you look at 139 billion dollars, that's an hour of work. That's an hour of business, right? 139 billion worth is probably the manufacturing capacity of an industrial country in the industrial revolution for maybe 100 years. <laughs> right? It's a landslide. So, so just to put that in perspective, you made that in, a, in an hour. It's, right? It's 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 a, And if you tell me there is not enough rizq for everyone in that.
0: You're naive. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're just very tight. You like very closed up. Yeah.
0: I hear you. What does a perfect day look like for you?
1: A nice easy question. <sighs> <sighs> like I... <just laughs> I think a perfect Like my definition of a perfect day Changes based on the day Right Subhanallah Like whenever you're away from one ni'mah You miss another ni'mah So now Because I'm away from my son I think a perfect day Is just playing with my son <laughs> That's a, that, that would make for a perfect day I mean, I How mean, old is he? He's a year and four months Oh new yeah, yeah, InshaAllah yeah. <laughs> Brand amazing. new Amazing <laughs> um another perfect day is when we release a new feature and i see people using it that's also like a big day to everybody at the office let's release whatever we're releasing because those are those are my favorite days because when you're releasing a new function or a new feature you're putting the fruits of all your teams and all your thoughts into audience like it's like uh, i feel like it's shakespeare going on with a new play for people to watch and just watching the audience reaction for the first hour, you know, it's like you put out your first podcast and you waited. So that 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 adrenaline rush of did we build something that matters or is it not going to work? The reaction element, <laughs> exactly. Reaction. So that that's that's a, that's a that's a that's a subhanallah great day for me. I would I would say yani, um, inshallah there is no in this, but I would say any day I pray five times is a great day for me. Yeah, so this is this is a good day for me at least, yeah.
0: You know, when I don't get my five, and I've said this before, uh, and I'll say it again, I, I don't feel that my day is complete and I feel like something's off. When I don't get my fifth and last, I'm like, wait, there's something wrong. Uh, I didn't pray I should yeah. go yeah. pray right now. The energy, yeah, yeah. subhanAllah, subhanAllah, yeah. is, I feel it.
1: Yeah, for, for each their own. SubhanAllah, if you feel it, you feel it, and that's uh, it's immense, it's, yeah. it's meaningful. So yeah, that's... Uh, those are my perfect days
0: (laughs) nice short and sweet um i listen i've kept you here for a long time (laughs) i'm gonna throw one more at you before we wrap up abdullah what an episode abdullah if you had all the money in the world and time was no constraint what would you
1: do nothing because i have all the money in the world (laughs) why do i need to do anything i just sit around in I would terms of,
0: yeah, interests. Yeah,
1: so no look, if I like I, I usually don't, don't like hypothetical. Back to your
0: high school days. Yeah,
1: but if, uh, if somebody has all the money in the world and has all the time in the world, you're just sit there and watch, you know what would you do? Um I would try to rebalance justice, right? Uh that's what I would try to do. Uh if I have all the money in the world, I'd make sure everybody has enough money in the world, mm. right? So that's that's part of uh, I'd make sure nobody's sleeping <laughs> hungry, maybe. I'd make sure nobody's being unfair because they have more money, right? Which is what's happening in, in this day and age where you get a lot of... So is is so I'll, I'll tell you something and it might resonate with, with 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 people here because in this part of the world, we probably see it every day. My father, Allah, he had, had a very good saying that I really never understood until very much later in my life where... I used to see him taking very risky business decisions, like all in kind of business decisions. And I'm like, what about financial management and you know risk aversion and blah, blah, blah. And he would always tell me, if you watch a bird on a branch, the bird is standing on the branch but does not trust the branch, it trusts its wings. The bird never trusts the branch. So when you have wings, you trust your wings. And I never deciphered like what, what that means. Until I figured out that he means that if you're a person of financial means and you trust your financial means, you're an idiot, you should be able to trust in your ability to create financial success, which is a founder's dilemma like Elon Musk. He is not dependent on Twitter or Tesla or this or that. He can cough up another billion dollar business in three months, right? And that's what he depends on. That's what, that's what keeps him confident in himself. In this part of the world, you find a lot of borrowed confidence. Uh, people are confident in their last names mm-hmm. or their bank accounts. And that's sad. <laughs> that's just for me, that's just sad. <laughs> and the problem is when you see those, the, the kinds of people that are really confident because they inherited something from someone, like a last name, you didn't earn it. You got your last name, or you got your.
0: You're taking from the well as opposed to creating your own.
1: Whatever you didn't create it, but that's not a problem. No shame in that. Allah put you in that situation. That was your rizq. Alhamdulillah, that's great. The problem happens when you start abusing that, in arrogance over people who've done their own or are trying to do their own. Mm. That becomes an issue, right? You start feeling like you're better than a waiter at a restaurant because he didn't he, he did not inherit as much as you did, mm. while. If you tip the scales and if you re-look re- at things, that guy earned his living, you got it from your dad. I have more respect towards that than I have towards this. Any day. So, and, and when you start looking at that, it, it 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 really makes you rethink of, okay, who should, how, how should justice look like? Or how should, if those two guys were on equal footing, what would life look like, yeah. right? Uh, and again, subhanAllah, you know, maybe this is a question we should double with, maybe we shouldn't, because it's divine justice and the way things are working out, the, the universe is working out. But yeah, that's what I would do if I had all the money in the world and time was not a constraint.
0: Are you also of the belief that if everyone's bank accounts went to zero overnight, the same smart people in the yes. world would find a way to... 100%. That's, 100%.
1: yeah. 100%. Not the people who inherited. <laughs> not the people who inherited. No, yeah. the same people who created their, their, the same people who are the 1% will re-emerge as the 1%. Again, because of their wings, not because of the branch.
0: I love that uh, saying of your father, Allah Alhamdulillah. It makes so much sense. I don't know if it's his, but he used to use it a lot. The one that he recalled. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. he used to use it a lot. Yeah. Is, is, are we in a case of that 1% is getting smaller today and there's more than 99% in the hands of the one?
1: Um. No, they're getting more. I think the one percent is growing. So, like every year, you have new billionaires that are born out of nothing.
0: Right? So less money in 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 less hands and more in the few. Ah, uh, the dangerous way, basically.
1: Yeah, I mean the way the way you look at it. So, if you have this one percent, let's say the whole universe is a thousand people, right? Ten people will always, always be the one percent. They'll always have more money and more influence, right? Those people are dynamic. They're going to keep changing because you being in the 10% is a competitive thing. It's you know that every year there is another founder, another entrepreneur who's hungrier, more aggressive, who's more vicious, who's willing to do whatever it takes to come up. And the fact that he comes up, it's a zero-sum game. He's going to take some of your part. He's growing into your part of the puzzle, right? So that's why you see that people who are, you know, Forbes 100 last year, they're not Forbes 100 this year, new people are gonna come up. But what's happening is that the 1%, let's say a hundred years ago, the 1% owned $1 billion, let's say, collectively. Today they own $100 billion. Uh, I think it was Chamath that the, 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 the that was saying on, on one of his podcasts that we've created in the past 20, 30 years, $34 trillion of wealth that is created. This is not organic wealth, money that was printed basically. And that shows you that if the balance between, like the difference between the 1% and the 99 was a mile, it's now a hundred miles, right? But the 1% will always be the 1%. It'll re-emerge as the 1% most likely. It becomes a weight issue. And it's just a, it's just a, ma- a bigger, like a massive difference. A, ma- a massive, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So t- t- it was the difference between I was in the one percent when I had a hundred thousand dollars and you had a thousand dollars, so you were the ninety nine percent. I was the one percent. Now I have a hundred million dollars and you many. still have a thousand
0: dollars. Yeah, yeah. Right? So this is where it's <laughs> wow, started. rich get richer. That's crazy. Thanks, man, so much for your time, Abdullah. Really appreciate it. I wanted to end with uh, with this one. I mean, you dropped so many amazing, beautiful, beautiful quotes. I think a lot of takeaways from this episode, like a lot of takeaways. Is, is there a specific? Quote that that you find yourself living your life by or one that you favor?
1: Not, yeah, I don't know what comes to mind. I probably have a favorite one, I just don't recall. But that I put you on the one, spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the one that I recall is maybe Imam Ali says, So work for your life as if you're gonna live forever and work for your afterlife as if you're going to die tomorrow.
0: Maybe that, yeah, that comes to mind. One of the strongest Arabic uh, sayings or proverbs or whatever it is. And it holds a lot of weight. Of
1: course, yeah.
0: And it hasn't translated. It hasn't reached the rest of the world, this one. It's it's a heavy Arabic one.
1: They believe in the first part of it. Islamic one, yeah. They believe in the first part of it, which is work for your life as if you're going to live forever. Mm. Because if you see those people amassing all this wealth, they can never spend it in their lifetime. What are they going to do? They can live forever.
0: The Far East are big on that. Yeah. Overworking. Mm. And then I don't want to get into this right now because we're wrapping up. But <laughs> like,
1: it, it translates to
0: suicide. There's a suicide issue in Japan.
1: A big time one. You know? For, but yeah, people are amassing wealth like they're going to live forever, like they're immortal. But there is a massive lacking component of what's next. So I think the balance is beautiful, which is you know, work for your life as if you're going to live forever and achieve, strive to be remembered um do good be good and work for your afterlife as if you're gonna die tomorrow yeah. and just keep that conscious because that gives you a nice balance of you know how how you wanna how you wanna you know balance your life.
0: yeah the current and what's to come yeah you, you know m- many people and then maybe i'm a victim of that as well sometimes i i focus too much on on this on the current life yeah. and, and not what uh is to come uh, yeah. for what an amazing note to to end on um <laughs> Thank you so much honestly for your time like, you. what an amazing meaningful heavy hitting episode <laughs> i mean it with uh, all uh, all every every ounce of my heart um thank you um how can we follow you those who want to follow what you're up to uh, to keep a pulse on on your on your whereabouts or how you move around how can we follow you
1: um so i'm i'm, I'm on the the the, the platform I, I use the most is probably instagram so I'm on my Instagram like the most, but I'm on LinkedIn uh, when like we're talking about professional stuff more. Yeah. Yeah. So Instagram, LinkedIn. Yeah. I, I followed you today, so just make sure you <laughs> 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 thanks, Abdullah. Really
0: appreciate your time. Buddy. Thank you, much. Thanks friend. for coming through. Good seeing And you. by the way, you rocked that sweater very well. So yeah. <laughs> um, I'll send you more. No. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you very, very much. How you, thank you so much. Appreciate bro. it. All the thanks best, brother. Lot, Cheers. Man, <laughs> Upper echelon. (laughs) I mean it, Abdullah. Thank you.